Welcome, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Hard News on Friday nights at BBS Radio Station One. So we're grateful that you join us here tonight, and I'd like to take a few moments to go into that heart space. And I hear that calling drum. Take a few gentle breaths. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. Gently, slowly. Let go of that dross of the day. You can hear that calling drum calling us together. So go into your heart space. Gather with your guides and guardians, your spirit teams, your healing teams your totems, your ancestors, whoever you like to journey with that Kami drum with. And there's a council fire, and it's in the center. So come, gather around close. In that perfect circle, like you know how to do in that virtual way. As we call in those seven sacred galactic directions in the Mayan tradition with the Kimi drum.
Welcome from the east, the house of light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see things clearly. Welcome from the north, the house of night. May wisdom mature among us so that we may see everything from within. We greet from the west, the house of transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. We greet from the South, House of the Eternal Sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruits of the planetary being. We greet from above the house of paradise, where the star people and the ancestors gather. May their blessings reach us now. And we welcome from below the house of earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart Bless us with its harmony so that we might end war. And we welcome from the center, source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May everything be recognized as the light of mutual love. Ayum Hunaku even Maya Imaho Ayum Hunaku even Maya Imaho Ayum Hunaku even Maya Imaho All hail the harmony of mind and nature. Inlock Alkin. I am another you, and you are another me. <laughs> oh, Matakuyasin, all my relations. So, just stay wherever that drumbeat took you. As we take a few moments to look at the Mayan record of days for today and for the week ahead. And today is the five Kaban, the red overtone earth. And... I like the comments that were made today on the Space Station Plaza, so I wanted to share with you the, their words about this day. The red overtone earth. Overtone is the name for the number five, and its key words are in power, radiance, and command. The fifth day is like a shift into higher gear. And since we are in the wave spell of the red Skywalker, that means our adventures are getting very interesting. 
If you have been getting out of your comfort zone, by now you should be feeling very empowered. So today is the red earth, which represents evolution, synchronicity, and navigation. If you are going in the right direction, synchronicity increases. If you are heading in the wrong direction, nothing will come together easily, and you will hit brick walls. So do consider how you are navigating today, and then redirect yourself if necessary. This will be a useful process that will help you evolve. We are journeying with the daring Skywalker for 13 days. And today, on the fifth day, we must ensure that we know where we are going. You may need to recalibrate plans and adjust your course. The number is powerful, and this ensures success with this redirection. And so, by the end of the day, you will feel empowered by the process. Today's guide is the Red Serpent, and as the serpent is very sensitive to what is going on in the vicinity, this teaches us to be guided by our senses. This is great for navigation. Keep your ears open and your eyes peeled, as there are signposts to show you the way today. As always, when the serpent guides us, we can feel very oversensitive. This certainly helps navigate, but it can be uncomfortable, too. Be aware that everyone is also feeling sensitive, so try not to get into arguments. The challenge is the blue hand, the healer of the Zulkin. People born on blue hand days will find it harder to evolve. It is challenging to accomplish what you want as well. This just means you must strive harder than the rest of us, for everyone else today can slap us in the face rather than give us a helping hand. It is not an ideal time for any form of healing or treatment. The occult power today is the yellow seed, which represents sowing awareness. When in this position of magic, yellow seed people have the knack for making us aware of magic. The relationship between the seed and the earth is so natural. The seed is planted in the earth, symbolizing that through becoming aware, we evolve. And the ally power today is the white wind, and so expect helpful communications today. Messages may get you to you in unexpected ways, through dreams or coincidences. Don't dismiss them. They are coming to you to help you navigate. If you need help, locate a white wind. They may have some important information for you. <laughs> so there you go. That's that. And I'd like to give you the affirmation or the mantra for today. So I'll remind you again for the overtone. The three words are radiance, command, and powers. And for the earth, kaban, the three words, descriptive words are synchronicity, Navigate and evolves. And okay, so here's the here's the mantra. I empower in order to evolve, commanding synchronicity. I seal the matrix of navigation with the overtone of radiance. I'm guided by the power of life force. So that's Chi Chong. The ally today is the wind. The challenge is Monique hand. And the occult power today is con the seed. 
which we already read about a minute ago. So there you go. That's the day. And let's look at that just a little bit closer in terms of the aspect and uh, of Kaban. It's a healing aspect, and it, its work is about being that keeper of the earth and, and our awareness of earth energy. So tune in and listen and embrace these gifts of having that access to planetary harmony as we are that balancing point. So use your intuition and let go of any separation or any failure to read the signs and let go of any disassociation. So there you go. That's that's today. And then tomorrow's a portal day. It's Etznob, which is a warrior aspect. It's a six Etznob, so it's the white rhythmic mirror. And the six tone is always carries the the same as the uh, the guide is the same as as the as the solar glyph on the day. So it's a double it's a it's a double mirror, <laughs> the mirror looking at the mirror. So let's let's do this work on our groundedness with this etznob energy and that wise use of honesty or any self understanding as we embrace these gifts of scrying the unseen in that fluidity and persistence. Let's let go of any illusions of separateness or any fear or any abandonment as we embrace these energies tomorrow. And it's a portal energy as well as being a devil mirror. It's more dimensions. So let's take a good look at ourselves and see what we can learn. <laughs> and look... As we look at others, we we have that mirror in front of us. And so then moving on to Sunday, it's the blue resonant sun, and it's also Palm Sunday. So we're in the Easter cycle with these sacred days, and um, the storm energy is a visionary aspect, and that resonant tone is that power of bringing heaven to earth and earth to heaven. It's that place in between, that magical seven. It's resonant. So let's do that. And as we embrace this visionary aspect, we work with creating transformation for others and lighting clear thought. So embrace these gifts of that possibility of freedom and that power of catalyzing that that storm brings us. So And let go of any addiction to crisis or despair or fear or any illusion of separateness as we embrace these energies on Sunday. And then moving on to Monday, it's at 8, how? And how is the, finishes up this uh, union and as it's the last clip in that, that's in, in the circle. So it's the yellow galactic sun. And that galactic tone is is that octave, so it's like a step up. And we just went through the wave of a howl, and now we're making another progression up an octave with this rising to Christ consciousness with the sun energy. It's a healing aspect, and we're striving towards wholeness, and we're transmitting energy to others. So embrace these gifts of that possibility thinking, that unconditional love, the God self, and let go of any limitation or separation 
as we embrace these energies on Monday. And then on Tuesday, we begin a new union. So it's an Amish, the dragon, the very first glyph. <clears throat> and we're working with this <clears throat> this dragon as an artist aspect. So we're working with creation and self-dependence and trusting in the universe and working with clarity in mind as we begin this new union. We embrace these gifts of the source of creation in the beginning. So put those beginning intentions in there as we let go of any illusions of lack of support. We embrace these energies on Tuesday. That solar, that's activating all the energy. So um, very active time for this dragon energy to show up. Um, I mean, yeah, that is, that's Tuesday. And Tuesday is also the 4-4 portal. It's April the 4th, so it's the fourth month and the fourth day. So know that we have that working with us as well. And then moving on to Wednesday, it's a 10 each, the white planetary wind. And it's also the full moon. So let's look at this wind energy with this full moon. The full moon happens at 11.35 p.m. Eastern. Um, and if that's different than anybody knows, please tell me, but I'm I'm assuming this is what what's right with my calendar, the time zone. So the the eek, the wind is a visionary aspect. So it's about our co-creation of heaven on earth. And so we're experiencing that with this full moon energy. So we're working with truth in all matters. We're remembering our unity with spirit. And we're embracing these gifts of having that voice of spirit, spirit working through us, this wind energy. And that planetary tone coming with it is the manifestation manifestation of heaven on earth. So let's do that um, on this day on this full with this full moon energy. Um, as spirits working through us, we let go of any judgment of others or any secretiveness as we embrace these energies on Wednesday and embrace that full moon and that that planetary manifestation aspect as well in the visionary aspect of the wind. So moving on to Thursday, it's 11 Akbal, so that's the blue spectral night. And this spectral tone is about letting go of what no longer serves. And the night is an artist aspect, and it's really asking for our participation and belief in our abundance and learning from our dream time. So we have that energy to work with letting go of what no longer serves us. And as we embrace these gifts of that protection of the night and being that mystery of life, let us let go of any self-judgment or any withdrawal. And then on Friday we come back. It's it's my galactic activation day. It's 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 my yeah my galactic signature. (laughs) <laughs> and it's also a portal. It's um, a, a portal day, a dimensional day, and uh, so we have that extra dimensionality with the yellow crystal seed. 
And this crystal seed, that seed energy is a healing aspect, and it's about our openness to life. It's about self-determination. It's about harmony-seeking, and it's about timing. And that crystal tone is about that complex stability. It's it's three fours, four threes, and so it's very powerful. It's a crystal energy. So let's embrace these gifts with this energy today with that the seed, that possibility and the potential of creation. And let go of any stagnation or any lack of self-confidence or any hesitation or lack of trust as we embrace these energies. We'll see you next Friday when we come back, and it'll be Good Friday. So it'll be a good day. (laughs) So we'll talk about it some more next Friday when we come back. And now I'd like to take a few moments to change my hat and talk about the housekeeping. As we are a listener-supported radio program, it's each of us that make it happen. So um, what we need for next week for BBS Radio is $316.25. And uh, here's how we make a contribution to our account at BBS Radio. We need to uh, go to bbsradio.com and click on Radio Station 1, and you'll find our programs listed on Radio Station 1 as you look for the selections. As you click on that, that shows you the the days and the time. So look for Thursday and Friday, and at the 8 o'clock hour, because these are in Central Times, um, you'll see an, on Thursday a night at the round table with the panel, and on Friday, the hard news with Tyron Rama. On Friday nights, uh, as you click on either one of those icons, that'll take you directly to our account with BBS Radio, where you can make a donation in any amount. So thank you for your generosity. We are um, grateful for all your participation, and we're grateful for you taking this action here. This is a good way to pay it forward and and um, make it happen as we gather each week this way. We're grateful for all your contributions. So we also have a program on Saturday at the one thirty. Uh, no, there, the 12.30 Central Time. You'll find it listed on Saturday, and it's the hard, it's the true history, history, and the Sarah and our galactic origins with Tara and Rama. So you'll find it listed at the 12.30 hour. And um, as you click on that icon on Radio Station 2, you need to be on Radio Station 2, so that's a different selection, (laughs) Radio Station 2. So that's where you find that one. And you can click on that and make that donation there as well. So any one of those three work, and we're grateful for you taking that action. So thank you for showing up that way. We are so grateful. And we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their expenses. And um, this week they just have one bill that needs to be paid, and it's $154.01. That's the Verizon bill, and it's due on Tuesday. So that needs to be there in the kitty by Tuesday to make sure that happens in a good way. 
And what else they need? And it needs to, this would be a really good week to work on <laughs> is they need to finish paying their mechanic for the work that he did more than a month ago. And these people need to pay their rent too. So it's not appropriate that we don't get around to this. So let's make it happen. Let's make it happen this week. And they need $496 for that bill. That will also allow <clears throat> Rama's peace of mind to have a new spare tire so that he, when he's driving, he knows if he has a flat that he's got a spare. So that's peace of mind, and we want Rama to have peace of mind. So let's make this happen this week. And also what needs to happen this week is $250 for the living expenses. The, they have um, the behind in some things they need to do with the money they get. So they need to make sure they get $250 this week so that they have enough for everything they need. So thank you, thank you, thank you for paying it forward like that and assisting Tara and Rama with what they need. They they work full-time doing the work, and this is the best way we know to say thanks to them and, and make sure that they they can have that in all in a good way. So thank you for making that contribution. Here's how you do it. You want to access Rama's PayPal account. And you can find the link for that at the either on the updates that he sends out or on the um, web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net. There on the home page, as you click on the menu grid, that menu drops down near the bottom of that list is the donate uh, link. As you click on that, that'll take you directly to Rama's the Rainbow Roundtable account um, at PayPal for <clears throat> uh, for Rama and the Rainbow Roundtable. That's the commercial account. If you want to access the friends and family, um, I found that you have to just do it by going to PayPal.com and putting in Rama's email there, and that works. That email is Koran K O R A N. Nine 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 at hotmail dot com, and that just is the friends option that that links you to. So that just makes that money go a little bit further. So if you have any troubles with it, let Rama know. But that should work that way. Um, it's, it's it. I think it's designated as a heart. So as you click on the heart, that's that's where you find that gifting email um, access. That's where you put in that Koran9999 at hotmail.com. And so thank you for taking that action. Um, And as you do so, please let Rama know by sending him an email and send it to this email address, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999 at net. And tell him what you sent and when you sent it so he knows to expect it. And then as you need it, the mailing address is Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280, 280. 
and that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, and the zip code 87567. I'll say it again. Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So thank you, thank you, thank you. 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. Long life, no evil, and I'm passing this talking stick. And (laughs) it's got all kinds of things with this talking stick. It's got that sort of truth. Excalibur, it has the 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 uh serpent feathered the feathered serpent <laughs> rainbow feathered serpent and Quetzalcoatl and Excalibur and it's got all kinds of fairies and feathers and all the magical beings and uh of the land. All the elements are there, all the rays from the sun are there and so that lots of fairies and feathers and lots of little people, the hobbits and the gnomes and the menahunis and the magical beings, the dragons and the and the, and the unicorns. So greetings, Tarn Rama. Here comes this talking stick. Thank you, Carol. Rainbird. <laughs> thank you, Rainbird. And thank you, everyone. Yes, thank you, everyone. And we are so great. We are so happy to be on Station One this Friday. And um, I'm going to pass the talking stick to Ron because he's got the update. I just want to say one thing because there might be a lot of new people, listeners. Nasara is a law that's already been signed into law. It was signed into law by Bill Clinton uh, in, in, in the year 2000 on October 10th, uh, which is a long time ago. Um, the situation is, is that we have some uh, dirty birds uh, hanging on to the old power structure. And uh, so we send them more love. That's the deal. Keep our friends close and keep our enemies even closer. And blaze the violet fire. What's really happening as well is that um, they're losing their grip. They are. In the eyes of the people. It's not a very, very really large group that are drumper thumpers right now. And uh, again, we send more love to those who might be rooting for something that they don't realize is against their own best interest. And of course, um, we're all watching. the former president has been indicted and it's the first time ever in the history of the United States. That being said, we have, uh, you might say, a uh, climate disruption situation going on at the same time. The uh, 
methane gas is accruing in the atmosphere. And it's nine to ten times more powerful. And as that methane gas continues to accumulate in the atmosphere uh, and people breathe it, it causes great harm in the physical body. Uh, so we we take appropriate measures in the meantime. Uh, and I'm not sure what Ram is thinking, but he's going somewhere. <laughs> um, he'll, he'll give an update, but I know that the urgency of addressing climate change um, is on on table today. I didn't get the full lowdown, but it's something that the uh, Antarctic ice uh, glaciers are melting way, way faster than they're talking about and making clear about. So the the issue would be to, uh, I would say, getting the SARA enacted into the law. Um, and that's simply because the old system and the characters that are still grasping onto the old system and the power it gives them, they don't want to stop using fossil fuels anytime soon. And the methane gas, like I said, uh, is the most deadly of the of the of all of you know CO two is ten, nine to ten times less deadly, you might say, from the emissions that are coming from ordinary fossil fuel emissions. Uh, the thing is that that methane gas is starting to come faster and faster to the surface. So the galactics know all of this, and they are taking active intervention. So when Rama reads this update to get Nasara publicly acted into law, these are what we call Faction 3 White Knights that are reporting to him. There's about 44 people that Rama has a connection with. And that's another thing, that the driving is required to get at least 20 to 25 miles away from the house in order to be able to connect on a system with these Faction 3 White Knights that cannot be picked up by any anybody else. So that requires every day doing that driving. And so the importance then of paying ET, our auto repair man, the $400, and getting the spare tire, and getting a new rim because the other one's been bent. All of this is pretty much on the top of the list because he's doing a lot of driving. And so it is, and I'm going to pass his talking stick. And the Syrah Law is getting enacted by and through us doing these shows to do what we can to provide the background information of um, learning, having a, a knowledge about the conditions and what needs to be done in order to um, uh, 
bringing a healthy environment to all of us. And so, nah, Sarah, now, okay, Rama, tell us what you learned today. Um, I uh, created a three-way Jedi Council with Ranamu, Professor Nicodemus, and Dr. Professor Steve up near a place we call Sun Mountain. And, um, and these two, Professor Steve and Nicodemus, are quantum physicists. Yes. And they worked at Los Alamos Labs for many decades. And that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. And so he's, these two know the direness of what's going on there and what needs to happen to maintain a healthy environment. And that's why they're called Faction Three White Knights, and that's why Rama gets to talk to them. And then who else? Professor Nicodemus, Professor Steve, and... Ranamu. Ranamu is a Faction Three White Knights, and she works at the... Uh, what's Department the of Energy. In Santa Fe, up yeah. the mountain. Yeah. And Rama gets to go in there with a special code to talk to her. And yes. she's got all kinds of technology in there, right, Rama? Yes. And and let's just put it this way. There are technologies um, that are very advanced, and she can use them. She has the knowledge of using them, yet the government doesn't tell anybody about what's in there. No, they don't. Because if the government... Or did you Somehow that? she has a way to create grants that grant her money and then she could do her quote-unquote experimental work. And it also connect, connects, contains technology. Uh, That's in, not from here. Right. Yeah. And it also can be used... In case of some kind of an emergency. Yes. And I think you've told me that she's had to use that technology quite a few times already. Yes, that's all three of these folks today said that the energies are so incredibly or highly credible. They're so intense, the ascension frequencies that our friends from the stars could be showing up for tea today. And they did not give any kind of uh, when, where, how, yet they are just saying, you know, expect the miraculous right at this time with the solar flares that are continuing to get bigger by the day. There are, I read or heard something about a very large solar flare that's supposed to happen in the next 24 hours, an X-class flare that's way up there in terms of uh, whatever that means. Frequencies. Frequencies. Coming in. Coming in. Which affect all of us. It affects every living bit of matter. 
and antimatter for that matter too. <laughs> and we are both sand, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> and they're just saying, work with the violet flame and the emerald green ray of what's coming in from all the different auroras. These gamma rays, uh, they're coming in from great central sun, Alcyon, and the uh, great, great central sun, I'll put it that way. What's the great, great central sun? Um, you mean Helios and Vesta? The beyond sun Helios and Vesta and Alcyon. Oh, what, yeah, what, I would say the Hunabku. Oh, the Hunabku is back in a place it's called, where 27 galaxies meet. That's right. Along, uh, and there, there's 26 other galaxies that are meeting with our Milky Way Galactic galaxy, Center. Right there. Yeah. Um, I think Alcyon is at... Uh, at least a more distant place, right? Yes. Uh, and those frequencies, uh, they come and they come through Helios and Vesta, the sun behind the sun, and from there they would come to where the Hunabku is, right? Um. Because uh, the great central sun is beyond where the 27 galaxies, including ours, meets. It's beyond that. It's in... The Hunabku is one movement, one, one measure in movement is all that is. So it's everywhere at once, and it, it could be considered creator source. Yes. Okay, so it's equal to Alcyon. Yes. Right, Rainbird? That's right. All right. Yeah, so essentially what they're saying here is that these energies that are coming in are coming from that huge galactic place, and it's exacerbating the old dark energies that have to go. And Aurora Ray's message today kind of correlates with this, how the galactics, you know, they're not saying when they're showing up yet. I got to say that uh, they will be here shortly. <laughs> and he is... Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe five o'clock in the afternoon. Tea time on the ships, or on the earth when they knock on the door. When who knocks on the door? Our galactic family. Oh, I think uh, Rainbird saying they're everywhere at once and nowhere at all too. That's right. <laughs> so I'm not sure what time tea is. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what else, Rama, honey? We're watching a, a historical moment happen right now with, you know, the Trump story because it is about how we haven't 
taking care of this small d democratic republic as we can keep it. And it's not about the Second Amendment and those other ideas. It is about what the Rainbow Nation prophecy speaks of from the Hopi. Every color of the rainbow is here to serve in loving presence because Gaia Vaiwamas is saying, now is the order of the day, as we all want to make it. And it is kind of a dire statement because the old is dying, and it is happening right now as we speak. This is why Pluto's in the mix, and he is the king of the underworld. And I need not go into those stories. Uh, He's the king of the underworld. He also represents total transformation. Correct. Death and And rebirth. Transformation. Transformation meaning transforming all that which is not needed back to source. Yes. Unabku. Alcio. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ringing around the rosy here. Okay, anything more, Rob? Just to send violet flame and rose-colored light, the threefold flame, to these situations that are unfolding on the um, lamestream news circuit. I was going to read a real quick thing from Aurora Ray. I don't know if we have time for the whole thing, but the main sentence is, from now on, we can openly interact with the people of this planet. It, it is true that we have been helping you secretly for a long time. Yet now it is time to let you know that your prayers have have been answered. The, the initial contact has been made. And there's more to this. They're just saying, like I'll just pull another sentence because it's time to go any second, but um, um, from now on we can openly interact with the people of this world. Openly. That's the key word in that statement. Yes. It is true that we have been helping you secretly. Oh, it's the same line. It's the same sentence. All right. Okay, the next one. Let's go to the next one. Um, We are now allowed to communicate with the people of the world, and we will be translated into all languages and broadcast through various media, television, and the Internet. We will use the mass media to awaken and inspire people into a greater understanding 
of themselves and of humanity. Also, messages of unity, oneness, and equality that we will broadcast to the whole world from enormous screens placed on the sides of our motherships. Yep. The Galactic Federation will host open meetings on ships where people can meet us in person. There are many people in the world that are sick, that do not have anyone to help them, or they just cannot afford healing treatment. Mm. So we will provide free healing treatment to all of these people around the world that are sick. Okay, we got to go to the, I mean, this is, this is, as Bernie says, it's huge. Okay, Rama, the phone numbers to go to talk to our uh, friends seven at the two, conference. 720-716-7301. And the pin code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, everybody. And so we'll see you on the conference. Namaste. I'll oh, we'll be right back here at BBS Radio at the top of the following hour to proceed forward with BBS Radio. So see you on the conference now. Namaste. Oh, <laughs> 
Hi, Precious Heart. Thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. The information being shared today is designed to help all of us focus on the divine mission we are collectively being called to fulfill in 2023. Every light worker will be in his or her right and perfect place. No facet of this divine plan is any more important than another. What is important is that we respond to whatever our I am presence is guiding us to do. The vehicle that will be used for the physical event is the 37th Annual World Congress on Illumination. This sacred gathering will be held at the beautiful Lowe's Ventana Canyon Resort and Spa in Tucson, Arizona, in the United States of America. The dates for this six-day event are August 12th through the 17th, 2023. If your I am presence is guiding you to be physically present within the portal of light in Tucson, Arizona, then know that your I am presence and the company of heaven will assist you in paving the way. This is true whether you need assistance with time, energy, or money to accomplish this facet of your unique divine mission. I am sharing this information today because we have an early bird special that will save you some money if you register soon. The specifics are on our website, eraofpeace.org. For those of you that have been inspired to physically attend the activity, this activity of light, thank you for listening and responding to your heart's call. You have selflessly volunteered to help fulfill a vitally important part of the unfolding divine plan for Mother Earth. Your I am presence is successfully guiding you through the experiences you need in order to prepare you to fulfill your part of this activity of light. So pay attention. Know that all is in readiness and you have everything you need to be God victorious. Together during the World Congress, we will form a mighty transformer that will allow the I am presence of every person on earth to receive the intensified frequencies of light that will activate the latent abilities encoded within humanity's 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar strands of DNA. This activation will allow us to tangibly receive the viable solutions for the remaining maladies surfacing from the grossly mutated miscreations resulting from our fall from grace. Lowe's Ventana Canyon Resort and Spa is nestled in the unique beauty and the nurturing and healing environment of the southwestern desert in Tucson, Arizona. The resort is surrounded by lush desert vegetation and towering two to 300 year old saguaro cacti. These expressions of the elemental kingdom stand as mighty sentinels 
while anchoring the light of God into the earth. When you enter this portal of light, you will experience the awesome radiance of both the flame of healing through the power of infinite transmutation and the flame of our Mother God's comprehensive divine love. As this sacred fire embraces your being, you will be blessed with the familiar feeling of coming home. This sacred conclave will provide you with the opportunity to meet old friends from around the world. These are light workers with whom you have been serving both in and out of embodiment for eons of time. These precious ones will join their heart with yours. Together we will support each other in wondrous ways as we accomplish our divine mission. We will be joined by our Father Mother God, the solar logos from suns beyond suns, the company of heaven, the mighty Elohim, the silent watchers, the directors of the elemental kingdom, the angelic kingdom, and the I am presence of every man, woman, and child on earth. Remember, whenever you serve as an instrument of God on behalf of your sisters and brothers in the family of humanity, the floodgates of heaven open to support you. Just ask and you shall receive whatever assistance you need from on high. We are deeply honored to serve with you in this holy endeavor. And we are looking forward to our sacred time together. Our Father, Mother God, and the company of heaven have assured us that when light workers are able to gather physically in order to fulfill a particular facet of the divine plan, our power and effectiveness are exponentially intensified. Consequently, they encourage us to meet physically whenever possible, which we will. Now, however, we have experienced what it is like when hundreds of thousands of people are able to consciously join with us energetically through a virtual online event. We do not want to miss providing that opportunity as well. For the 37th Annual World Congress on Illumination, we will co-create a hybrid event with the guidance of the company of heaven. Beginning each day of the physical 37th World Congress, we will have a one-hour activity of light through which the company of heaven will reveal our mission and what the next step of our divine plan is for that day. Day by day, as we accomplish each step of the unfolding divine plan, the company of heaven will reveal to us our next opportunity. During the 37th World Congress, that one hour activity of light in the morning will be available as an online virtual event. 
This daily activity of light will be offered free of charge for everyone around the world who wants to weave their magnificent light into this critically important facet of our ascension process. To participate in the virtual online event, you must register on our website. Again, that is eraofpeace.org. It is with infinite gratitude that our Father, Mother, God bless you for your willingness to be an instrument of light during this powerful year. God bless you. I look forward to being with you next week. place that my partner calls the homeroom. To him that just means the place where he started. Hard to believe that it was almost 30 years ago. Hard to believe that the place where he's channeling is very close to where he started channeling those early days where he sat in the chair for the first time. There is a tradition here. And the tradition is this, that many times there would be a, a, a wrap up, they say. Perhaps an exposure of things to come. We use this venue for this because it's symbolic of the end and the beginning. And so it is not an exception that tonight we'll go over some things. And all of these things that we wish to speak of and go over, dear ones, precious. If you believe such a thing, this is a voice from the other side of the veil through a human being coming to you with love and gratitude because you need it and you deserve it about the things that are changing on the planet about the perceptions that you may have and so we become current and tonight, not only do I wish to discuss certain things, I wish, I wish to go beyond that. And the beyond that means I'm going to make some suggestions. And yet again, for those who are listening, who are not here, 
I want to itemize some things that maybe you didn't think of, that need to be thought of, that need to be put together in a way perhaps you are not ready to do because you had to hear it first. Concepts, perhaps, that you need to know about. I'll start to say that everything I'm going to mention here is on your news. In some way, it's on your news. And if you look at it in a certain way, it looks like everything is falling apart. Crying is past 2012, and it looks awful. <laughs> He said, things are going to change to the better. And again, I say, for those of you who would expect a, a magic fairy to come down, and wave a wand and everyone thinks differently, that is not the way it works. <laughs> Ideas churn through a civilization and a culture in a specific way. Ideas have to go through the barrier of belief but especially that which we have called the old biases, which say, no, it can't be, or this is the way it is, or this is the way it was, and therefore the way it will be. The ones who say, woe is me, take a look at the awful things, and leave it at that. So let's talk about the awful things, one by one. The soothsayers, the ones that say, we're doomed. These are the ones who see what they see and have a perception of change in their own way. But it's there for you to look at. And dear ones, the first one is going to be American democracy. It's falling apart. And there are those who said this is going to be the demise of America because of what we have going on now looks like the red and the blue hate each other so much we may have a war in Congress <laughs> I expect them to start shooting each other very soon it's not it's not enough that they call each other names it's heating up and that's not what the founding fathers wanted at all and look it's falling apart there's nothing good about it we're not seeing anything done at all. We told you years ago, dear ones, that your system is systemically broken. And that it might have been good for 250 years ago, but it's stale now because consciousness is changing. Well, if it's broken, it's broken. It's almost like we have elected officials and we put them in this, this glass house of earth and this social media where everybody can see everything and they get to watch the immense dysfunction of America. And they laugh, billions of people watching it all crumble. That's number one. How do you like it so far? Number two, cry on. We put our cities in the right place for the right reasons. We're running out of water. Something's happening with water. 
We have some of our cities who depended on water from certain places since the 30s. I'm sitting right now in one of them called Southern California, who has never had water. And they get their water from up north, where they have water, until recently, where they don't have water. Some cities are stopping the progress of building because they don't have enough water. They can't then water the things that are supposed to grow well in California. And that's just one place. It's running out of water. We told you years ago there would be weather change. Do you remember? We told you what you now call several things today. Climate change probably is the most accurate. That there would be times and places that would change so greatly that once there, once where there was water, there would, would now be none. And sometimes where there was none, there would be an abundance. Some of those who are listening right saying right now, we've got too much water. What are you going to do about that? You sit in a state that's in trouble. That's number two. Number three, let's get current. Crying, do you know about the garbage patch? We've got a garbage patch in the Pacific Ocean the size of Texas. Plastic is everywhere. It's hurting the ocean. It's hurting the life in the ocean. Can't do anything about it. It's just there. What are we going to do? Is this going to be the demise of the environment? Have we now seen what we've done? Everybody's seeing it. That was number three. Number four. Crying, we have got pollution everywhere. We tried years ago. We tried. We tried at the United Nations and failed. Couldn't get the accord going. The pollution continues and continues and the smokestacks continue and they continue. And we have then the earth heating up and we have all of these things in their cities where you can't even see across to another building. People are coughing in the streets. We've got pollution. And it's not getting better. Not that I can see. Not that we've been told. Number five. Crying, there's no way we're going to have enough energy. We keep pumping out all of this, this electricity. We can't keep up. We just can't keep up. And then the electricity has to be caused, has to be created, of course. Well, anything that burns, and we've burned everything. We've got all kinds of ways of making electricity. None of them are safe. And it continues and continues, and it's just like a monster that eats electricity. What are we going to do? There's about 15 more. <laughs> There's five. I want to lead you through these five in a way... And I'm going to ask you to please be compassionate. Think out of the box of what you have been told. Think out of the box of, of what the news 
has put you into a, a, a place of worry and anxiety and a, wringing your hands and worrying. Not being aware of certain kinds of things that we told you were coming. Is your politics broken? Yes, absolutely. Did we tell you that? Yes, absolutely. Does that mean it's doomed? No. When you have something that doesn't work, does it then mean forever it doesn't work? Have you made up your mind in advance that everything that you're seeing is so ugly and so immense that nothing ever can fix it. How many times have we told you what's coming here? Dozens. And yet somehow there are still those who, who haven't seen it, who don't understand. This is a process, dear ones, that we even warned you about in advance. It's got to break, and it is and you're seeing it, and it's an embarrassment to the world. What do you think about a system that you have where literally ideas come together, they're discussed, an election happens, and winner takes all. And for four years or eight years, the winner strives to beat up the loser. And then you have another election and it may reverse. And that winner spends four to eight years gloating and beating up the loser. And in the process of those four to eight years, very little actually gets accomplished for America. You see, it's broken. I told you where it's going. The things that are coming, I want you to watch for. I'm going to call it, and you will laugh, elegant politics. <laughs> the beginning of what I would call compassionate campaigning. No more name calling. And there's going to emerge a consensus, a confluence in the Congress, in the states, where you don't want to elect a leader or a president that just is one party, because that president will then go into office and do what all the other presidents have done. Favor the one party because the voters wanted it. Hmm. What if, what if you had a centrist? Get ready for it. And the centrist said, I'm going to run for president because I can create agreement. I am good at negotiations. I'm good at knowing where they should go to compromise or not. I'm going to get things done. I don't, I don't represent either side, you see. How many of you might be interested in that? Yeah? You feel it, don't you? 
will so will others. It's not that hard. So is it really broken or does it simply need a compassionate tweak? You see, you see, and that would be called evolution. I'll tell you this, if you don't do it, other nations will. They see it coming too. You need a leader who can lead. And this is not an indictment of the current leader. It's an indictment of the system of winner takes all. This would be the evolution of democracy all over the planet. And it's time. How soon is it coming, Cryon? Yes. And there will be those of you who say not soon enough. Listen, there are those who will hear this and agree. There will be those who have an aha moment. There may be even politicians who say, that's what I've been waiting to hear. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to be compassionate. And probably will they will lose for a while. Because these kinds of things are not trusted yet. Well, he's got something he's hiding. She's not going to make it because... I don't believe that she can actually do what she says or be compassionate. Oh, they're just holding back. They're not calling names yet, but you wait until they get in. But they, all of this is old bias, old bias, because you expect the worst. So how about the old souls listening to this? Start to expect the best. That's what it's going to take. You want to know how fast? It depends upon you. Crying, we're running out of water. <laughs> I want to give you a visualization right now. Let's pretend, just pretend, because you're on the edge of the Pacific Ocean, this is viable. Every single one in this room knows what it looks like to go to the ocean and look out and see that vast amount of water. And to look out upon it and sigh when the sun goes down and say, this is a beautiful place. Okay, let's extend that. What if every drop of water that you see in the ocean suddenly becomes viably drinkable? Would that change anything for you? And the answer is, are you kidding? You mean we can use the ocean? You always could. But it was difficult because the technology of desalinization required heat and cost and electricity, none of which were there to have and it was too slow. I am telling you there's something coming and we've even given you hints of how it works. Let's expand that. You need to hear it again. For those who've never heard it, you need to hear it again. It's simple. You know, these things are not really simple, but the, the arrangement, the process, the idea is simple. And then there will those who will, who will go with it. And it may take a couple of years for them to understand how to do it correctly. But that's how all inventions work. Once you have the initial idea, here's the initial idea. Are you ready? Make salt magnetic. And then pull it out of the water in real time with electromagnetic. You can make salt magnetic in several ways, dear ones. 
I throw the gauntlet out to the inventors. Make salt magnetic. You will have a system then where you can have real-time pass-through desalinization without heat and without holding tanks. Comes in salty, goes out fresh. You pass it through two or three times, but eventually goes in salty, comes out fresh. You know those big tankers that carry a million barrels of oil? I want you to think for a moment of a million barrels of salt water converted to fresh in a tanker that can also have a desalinization plant within it. Just make salt magnetic and then pull out the salt with electromagnets and you can do it. And there are some idea light bulbs going on right now to those listening to this. Do you realize this without heat in real time? That's how it's going to be done. That tanker, by the way, and the reason I bring it up, that can sit off your shore and do this. You don't even need land for it. Better still, it can go to places that don't have any fresh water now and start making it. Millions of barrels at a time. That is what's coming. And the ocean then becomes the resource. Not a, a resource that is going to hurt the ocean at all. It's going to water your crops. It's going to feed you. It's going to bring water to this state if you allow it, if you let it. Why would anyone object to this? <laughs> You'll have to ask the objectors. They'll have reasons. And perhaps they'll say, yes, but what Cry is not telling you is that there's going to be a lot of electricity involved here. Well, just stay tuned for a minute. I haven't got there yet. Mm. Cry, we got this, this garbage patch. I want to ask you a question. You mean it was clean yesterday, and today you've got a garbage patch. And you will say, well, well no, it took a while. Well, how long? And here's the answer. Since the invention of plastic, that's how long. Now, what do we have? 80, 90 years? That's how long that has accumulated in your ocean. It didn't just appear, dear ones. But something did just appear. You just discovered it. Not really. It was known 10 years ago. It was known 15 years ago. It's just that you didn't care. Now you do. Dear ones, welcome to the evolution of consciousness for yourself, for the planet, for existence. It's a worldwide event and now it's news. It's been there for decades, getting bigger and bigger. And now you've discovered it. Not really. Now, Everyone knows about it, and now you'll have those who've decided to do something about it. Do you need new inventions? Not really. It's pretty simple. You just need funding to get out there and collect it. And you'll say, well, it's way too much to collect. If you do it slowly, in large amounts, over a period of time, it will start to reduce over a period of time. It'll even get smaller. There'll come a day when you celebrate the fact that the garbage patch is gone and that you did it. 
because somebody funded it and somebody cared about the ocean and that somebody is going to be human beings on this planet. And that's what's different. You act as though you're so alarmed that something that's been there for decades, like it just showed up yesterday on your backyard. The difference is awareness, caring, consciousness. Crying, we have too much pollution. Yes, you do. And this is where it gets dicey. And I'll tell you why. Because every time I talk about this, there are objectors. There are those who might even leave the room. Because what I tell you is not what you've been told. What I tell you is this. You've got too much pollution. Now stay tuned because the next one, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how to get rid of it. But for now, here's what I tell you about your pollution and a lot of the other things that you suddenly are noticing with all of your instruments and all of the scientists. This pollution is killing you. It is not killing the earth. <laughs> That's controversial. Keep pouring it out. If you want to die, and if you will, civilizations will go away and the earth will be just fine. Thank you. It always has been. The earth is resilient and will recover even from humanity. So here is your, is your, your instruction for the day. Stop polluting because you're killing yourself. But the earth, the earth is currently in a cycle. And that cycle corresponds to this movement that you have of killing yourself. And so you then apply it to the planet and say, all of these things that are happening to the planet, you're causing it. Here comes the controversy. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'll say it again. Climate change that you are experiencing, including that which is the heating of the atmosphere, is cyclical. And the Earth has done it before. And why your climatologists are not reporting it is because they haven't really looked at the records clearly. If you want to look at the ice cores and the tree rings, you're going to discover something amazing. That the Earth does this on a regular basis. Go up into Alaska and talk to the indigenous about the movement of glaciers. They come and they go and they come and they go and they come and they go. Now, while you were born, they were there. Now they're leaving and you're having a fit. Do you see what I'm saying? And if you want to talk about how often the cycles happen, there are cycles within cycles. There's 400 year cycles, 1600 year cycles. And they go from hot to cold. And they do it so that the earth has a way of rejuvenating itself. We've said it before. If you have a fish tank, no matter how well you take care of it and aerate the water and the chemistry, no matter what you do, there comes a time when you've got to change the water. Well, the earth cannot change the water. What it can do is with temperatures. It can rejuvenate itself, rejuvenate the fish, the life, all of these things. And it does it on a regular basis. But you've only been here a little while. You've never seen it. Not really. You're new. 
Can you imagine just for a moment, let's just pretend for a moment, the lifespan of a human being was two months. Now that means you never saw winter, spring, fall, or summer. So let's just say in the two months that you're alive, doing your thing and all that, having all of your opinions, it just it just happens to be winter is approaching. And you, you've been through summer and here comes winter and all of the trees are starting to die and the leaves are falling off. What are you gonna do? Woe is me. The earth is dying. You have no idea. It does it every year. <laughs> the leaves all fall off. The trees look awful. It looks like, like everything is dead for a while. And then here comes winter. If it wasn't bad enough, something called snow. He never saw that either. You see what I'm saying? There are bigger cycles you haven't been through yet. And yet the earth will give this information to you if you look for it. Meanwhile, the fear mongers are out saying you've hurt the earth. You can't recover. You're doomed. This is really controversial now, what I'm going to tell you. You know that ozone layer? Remember that hole in the ozone? Caused by all those fluorocarbons and those things that you cleaned up in the last 30 years? See, that ozone layer is closing up now. Congratulations for not understanding anything. Did you know that the ozone in general on the earth is starting to thin now, why don't you go back to the 60s and find out something they found out that the ozone layer is relational to the magnetic field of the earth. Welcome to magnetic shift. The ozone would have done what it did. Even if you weren't here. It's part of what happens on this planet on a regular basis. It's part of what happens in the radiant sun cycles. It's part of the shift of this planet and how it adjusts itself. And it's doing it again so that the humanity that is here in abundance and that will get more abundant and more populate will be able to have the food you need. How does that sound? Yeah. That's controversial. Climate change is happening as it always has. And you're seeing the leaves fall off the tree and you're calling for help. You didn't cause it, dear ones. The pollution you're pouring into the air is killing you. That's not good. Clean it up. But this earth of you, yours, they, they know what they're doing. They, the Gaia, the elementals, all of the multidimensional life that has been here all along, churning through these cycles long before you ever got here to complain about. That's controversial. I want to talk about energy. You're starting to see the value of electricity and the storage of it. More than ever before, you're seeing industry start to recognize that one of the key elements of everything you've ever done to create power has to be eliminated and it's called heat. Every time you need to make power, you need heat. You need heat for steam. And steam then powers turbines, which turn and then 
create electricity for you. And whether you're burning oil or whether you're burning coal or whether you're burning anything, you still have to have heat. So you're always gonna burn something. There's some technologies out there that are showing you how you can burn things without smoke, but that's not the answer. The answer is don't burn anything. The answer is no heat. Brian, you can't do this without heat. We told you that there's free heat if you wanted it. While you're burning all of these resources and pouring smoke into the atmosphere, we told you it's right below your feet. And the answer that the scientists gave to Cryon, they said, you mean geothermal? And Cryon says, yes. He says, it's too hard to get to. The hole you'd have to drill is so it's technically impossible to drill a hole and have that to, to pick up the heat you need. But sure, it's free heat and you can have free energy and all that. We don't have the technology. It's just too hard. Let me interpret what you just said. We don't want to spend the money on that. We'd rather build a nuclear reactor, which has probably cost more. Now, have you seen the folly of nuclear power in the last few years, dear ones? You have had only two events so far on this planet with a runaway nuclear reactor. And I'm telling you, both those incidents are still poisoning the earth. They're poisoning humans. They're poisoning the land. They're poisoning the ocean. How do you like that safe power you built? It's the most dangerous thing you've ever done for humanity, for yourself, and it's cost a fortune. And if you had put that money into geothermal, you'd know how to dig a hole and get heat. But I'm not talking about digging a hole. Free energy has been the holy grail, if I can use the word, for a long time. Now, there's no such thing as free energy. First law of thermodynamics shows that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It simply changes form. So free energy isn't free energy. It's the description of energy you get from an unexpected source that does not get depleted. Is it possible? Oh, it's right in front of you. It's always been right in front of you. And it's called magnetics. I would just want to paint a picture. If I haven't done it before, only this time, I'm going to get more specific. Have you ever played with the permanent unidirectional magnets? These are simply magnets that attract very powerfully and repel very powerfully, depending upon how you position them and the plus and the minus. Some of them are so powerful that two grown men could not pull them apart. Two grown men could not push them together. Imagine two grown men trying to push a positive and a negative together on magnets that are so strong that they simply will not go together. And the men would push and push and push. Question, how many What's, what's the duration of the pushing before those magnets would go together? How do you like forever? Welcome to a power source. Are you understanding this? Magnetics has always been there. 
It pushes and it pulls. That's what it does. It pushes and it pulls. Have you ever seen a steam engine? Have you seen anything that makes power? It needs to push and it needs to pull. I want to tell you about a little engine. It's a little engine of magnetics. These are permanent magnets. There's no electricity involved. And you position them in a certain way on wheels, multiple wheels, where they would push and pull each other in such a clever way that they would push and pull each other until the wheels disintegrated and you had to get new wheels. But the magnets would continue and continue and it would, uh, it would go for an eternity. Are you interested? And then there were those who would say, well, what good does a, a, a couple of wheels going around do for us? I'll tell you. And the inventors know this. Number one, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to reveal something to an inventor listening to this who needs to know it, who has been working on that engine and really cannot get to first base. How can you make these things push and pull in a way? There's always a drawback. I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to go into the failure. I'm not going to go into the, the pluses and the minus and why it doesn't work every time. And I will tell you, there's a twist to it, Mr. Inventor. Your wheels should be Mobius strips. Just gave it away. If you know what a Mobius strip is, now you know the joke. There's a twist to it. There's a configuration using Mobius strips and discs and magnetics that are permanent that will push and pull on each other in a way where they will continue and continue and continue and be 100% efficient. And then you have a wheel that goes around and it doesn't matter how big or small it is. When any wheel goes around, it can make a little electricity. Are you with me? Now, that little electricity could then be connected to another larger wheel, which is electromagnets. In fact, that could be a very, very large wheel. Electromagnets have maybe 10 times the power. Now you have the same system and the same shape and the same Mobius strip. Only these magnets are really powerful. And now you've got something that will push and pull in a really, really big way. And yet you still don't have something that's really big. You can have power plants that will cover just a few houses, dear ones. The grid is no longer necessary. Private power, free, using magnetics, is coming. And it's everything you'll ever need. You know those ships, those places that are there that are using electrics for desalinization, they got plenty of electricity using this method. They don't need to burn anything. Can you imagine an earth without smokestacks? This can be applied to anything where you need push-pull energy. There are those listening right now that just had in the aha that they asked for. Is this too far-fetched? Is this too science fiction-y for any of you? Or is it something that is so eminently practical that you might sit back and go whoa <laughs> there could be promise and the reason is because every objection to any of these is old energy the way it used to be and the way you used to do it the way it used to be and the way you used to do it is moving out watch for private industry to create this not government that will be the other secret. 
what you've counted on your governments to do because of their size and their funding and because of the way government works can be replaced by private industry, which then has an interest to do it more efficiently and better and to serve you and do a good job. Something governments don't necessarily have. Private industry. It's going to happen. Crying, when is when are these things going to happen? Yes. When you support them and see them and don't think it's crazy. When you look for them in the news, when they start to be announced, when somebody comes up with it and you say, well, I heard that in a cryon meeting. Now, I haven't given anything this day which hasn't already been worked on, thought of, and in the process. And that should give you hope. Patience, dear ones. Most benevolent outcome. Don't wring your hands. This is the end of the channel. Don't wring your hands. I want you to start thinking about this. We are all servants of peace, everybody. All of us. Everywhere. We might not know it yet, but then we got to wake them up. So Tigger says, hello, everybody. <laughs> Greetings in the light of the most radiant one, everyone. Greetings, Mother. Greetings in the light of the most radiant one in the office of the Christ and only in the office of the Christ we invoke the loving energies of Saint Germain and the violet flame. We ask at this time for the embodiment of Pashat energy on this planet uh, to stand up and be counted and Make it be known that uh, it is time. It is time for what? It is time for mother. <laughs> okay. 
And it is time for peace, everyone. The SAR gets enacted as there's a universal declaration of peace on this earth. And let it be so. Greetings, Mother. Greetings, children of Ra. <laughs> Indeed, let there be peace. Let it begin with us. A lot going on. Mr. Cryon bringing us right up today about magnets, magnetism, hmm. the energies, magnetics, its answers that are forthcoming. At this time, we can say what the sun is doing. Playing with the magnetic field of Mother Gaia, raising it up. This is a good thing. The R so many events unfolding right now as it's supposed to be. It's what we all asked for to show up now to do this in a good way. As one is healed, all are healed. The quantum field is doing its magic at the moment. We can say with great certainty Ascension is assured. Kudo must do his dance with Lord Shiva and bring forth all of the old stuff to the surface. This is why will say, hmm, there are going to be stories coming forth. Let's say about the old timeline that have to come up about the social-political economic systems that have 
like Kion said, so many others. Sickness is the system. The system is the sickness. Oh, it could be either way, huh? I don't remember. <laughs> yes. And it is, there's a new way how this comes about. And hmm, let's say the quantum field is aiding this story right now, how to lift things higher. Like Aurora Ray is saying, hmm, call us in, we'll show up. It's this universal moment here how we all come together to shift the consciousness of the planet to one of wholeness and balance. This is taking place in spite of the best efforts of our wayward children. And they are going down fast. The seedy stories gonna get a little seedier <laughs> in the next couple weeks. It's about this failure of how the folks that seem to think they can create laws, yet they can break the laws just as easy. Uh -huh. And think they can get away with it forever. The laws of the universe are about equality and balance and joy, ecstasy, compassion, not greed. And it's at an end. What we could say about our present moment. Precarious it is. And we can shift it. It is as we are do our due diligence of the sadhana spiritual practice 
we have brought into our lives. As we do this, it opens it up for us to openly land and take part in your civilization. And that is taking place at this present moment. All the old stuff has to go. It does, doesn't it, Father? Yes. There are a lot of things that have happened since we spoke last. All of it is about the energies that keep on pouring in to raise this dimension realm higher. And Right now we can say we have won. It may not seem that way, yet we have. And we can say do the work that is before us. Raising it up, going into the heart, having compassion for what's unfolding here. Violence, not the answer. Compassion and divine wisdom are. It's A bit of a challenge to look at these life forms of our children and emotions come up and Praise, respect, thank and love the feelings. We are at a completion and all that has taken place it moves into a higher octave of balance and joy. No, you got a lot to talk about here. We'll be on our way. Mother, I just maybe ask you. Um, I feel like it's not fair. That's not too much more down the road. It just feels. There is 
nothing really in the sense it is here and what's taking place is how the folks that seemingly have the power they only have it because we gave it away. We have our power. As we leave, they follow. You know, you said that accountability has to be had before the announcement can happen. We're beginning to see some accountability cockeyed as it is. <laughs> yeah. And justice on this planet is a scarce thing. <sighs> That's why Lady Master Ma is here to balance it out. It's not about how many heads in a duffel bag we collect. It's about having compassion for life forms that made a conscious choice to turn to the dark side takes a lot of doing to do that knowing full well I was just thinking mother that um it would be like a uh, domino effect like you know, if you're going to take to task one, then it's got to, you got to do all the rest. And it's just like. Uh, We're in the flux where uh, metaphoric, metaphorically speaking, one of the top dogs has gone down. Well, who's that? This orange life form. Oh, he's he's still standing. Don't quote for yourself, mother. Uh, he thinks it's never going to get to that place, and he's going to just play his cards. Just a holographic image taking up space. Why doesn't it just be a a really fun thing and say, "Let's all take you guys for a ride." Want to go for a ride in a spaceship? Come on. <laughs> well, I we'll just, just to, say just curious. that is that is ongoing at the moment as things rapidly unfold. You will see these folks go for a ride. Let's put it that way. Thank you, Mother. Of the most radiant one. Riggs is a liar of the most radiant one. Rose, 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 Ionize, Rose, 
Kadosh, 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 Adonai Sabayot. Kadosh, Kadosh, Adonai Sabayot. Eliyahu, 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 Yodhe, Yodhe, Yava, Adonai. Basu Boragas. Aloha, Mother. Mother's leaving. Rama's coming back. Let me teach him. <laughs> well, hello, my darling. <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> Welcome back. Taos Mountain. Taos Mountain? Yeah. And? Oh, um, what was the, um, Galactic Federation Commanders was giving a talk about environmental issues, since that seems to be on the table. Um, talking about the water, and there is more than enough water on the planet, and it is about releasing certain places and vortexes where the water will come forth. It is all in the process of happening right now. Well, you know, the, the general talk, and we'll probably hear it on Democracy Now!, too, that this could take years. Um, and there's got to be something, like, I was just thinking, like, how about the flash or something? I mean... I wouldn't put anything past right now. It's all in the mix that it could happen right in the moment. In other words, expect the unexpected? And be in joy as it happens. Okay, Goddess is alive. Let's go jump into this democracy now here, everybody. I mean, that was huge when the Doctrine of Discovery got written off. Yep. Woohoo! <laughs> so, let's have some galactic intervention. All right, everybody, here goes. Democracy now. Here we come. 
democracy now, indicted. Donald Trump has become the first U.S. president to face criminal charges after a New York grand jury indicts him for paying hush money to Stormy Daniels during the 2016 race. Trump is expected to surrender and appear in court Tuesday. We'll speak to Hofstra Law Professor Ellen Yaroshevsky on the indictment and the other criminal probes targeting Trump. Then to Nashville, Tennessee. Over a thousand protesters flood Tennessee's state capitol building Thursday, demanding an end to gun violence following Monday's school shooting in Nashville that killed six, including three nine-year-olds. We'll speak to an emergency room doctor who took part in the protests, as well as Manny Oliver. Five years ago, his son, Juan, was killed in the Parkland school massacre. Last week, Oliver was arrested on Capitol Hill at a house hearing on guns. All that and more, coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. A grand jury in Manhattan has indicted Donald Trump on more than 30 criminal counts related to hush money payments Trump made to adult film star Stormy Daniels during his 2016 presidential campaign. The charges come four and a half years after Trump's former personal attorney and fixer, Michael Cohen, pleaded guilty to charges of tax evasion, bank fraud, and lying to Congress about the hush money payments, which he says Trump directed him to make. It's the first time a former president has faced criminal charges in the United States. Trump is expected to surrender to authorities Tuesday. He responded to the indictment by releasing a long statement that read in part, quote, this is political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. We'll have much more on Trump's indictment after headlines. Senator Bernie Sanders and New York Congress member Jamal Bowman, backed by other progressive lawmakers, are calling on the Biden administration to reconsider U.S. policy towards Israel, quote, in recognition of the worsening violence, further annexation of land, and denial of Palestinian rights, unquote. The letter which has been circulating in both chambers of Congress this week to garner support, calls for a probe into whether U.S. weapons are being used to commit human rights abuses against Palestinians. Dozens of Jewish leaders and community groups are also supporting the letter. This comes amidst rare public rebukes of Israel by U.S. officials over its now-paused plan to gut the judiciary and its plans to illegally expand its settlements on Palestinian land. On Thursday, Palestinians marked Land Day with marches, protests, and speeches across the occupied territories. Meanwhile, Israel's Law Professors Forum representing 120 prominent law professors, has joined human rights groups in comparing Israel's treatment of Palestinians to the former apartheid government of South Africa. Earlier this week, the new head of Human Rights Watch, Tarana Hassan, urged the U.S. and other allies of Israel to help hold it accountable for its rights violations. 
we see that this is not a human rights compliant government. This is a government that's actually on a, on this, on a, on a rampage against human rights um, domestically against its own people in Israel, and they are pushing back. In Mexico, authorities have arrested five out of the six people who had arrest warrants issued against them, including three officials from the National Immigration Institute and who face homicide charges after at least 39 asylum seekers were killed in a fire at an immigrant jail in Ciudad Juarez near the U.S. border. One of the survivors was also taken into custody, accused of starting the blaze Monday as dozens of migrants protested horrific conditions inside the overcrowded jail where they weren't provided water or food. Authorities began identifying the victims of the fire and notifying loved ones in their home countries thousands of miles away. Most of the dead were indigenous people from Guatemala. Others were from Honduras, El Salvador, Venezuela, and Colombia. This is Maria Miranda, the wife of 43-year-old victim Carlos Pechecho, a construction worker from El Salvador. I hope justice is served. It is not fair how so many innocent people die. People who fight for their families, who fight to give them a better life, put food on the table and make sure they have all they need. It is not fair. We need justice because they could have helped and they didn't. They didn't. The Vatican has formally rejected the Catholic Church's doctrine of discovery used to justify European colonialism in Africa and the Americas, which dates from papal bulls issued in the 1450s. In a statement issued Thursday, the Vatican said the documents were, quote, manipulated for political purposes by competing colonial powers in order to justify immoral acts against indigenous peoples that were carried out at times without opposition from ecclesiastical authorities, unquote. Many indigenous leaders welcomed the church's repudiation of the doctrine of discovery, which came eight months after Pope Francis toured Canada and apologized for the Catholic Church's role in Canada's brutal Indian residential school system, where many students died. In Nashville, Tennessee, more than a thousand protesters flooded the state capitol building Thursday, demanding an end to gun violence. The protests followed Monday's mass shooting at Covenant School in Nashville, where a shooter armed with two rifles and a handgun killed three adults and three nine-year-old students. This is 16-year-old Tennessee high school student Chloe Spangler. Up all my life, like, being scared of getting shot in school, and um, I really just want to fight for gun control because I'm tired of my life being put second to a firearm. Um, and I want students to have the opportunity to be able to share their voices because they're the ones being affected by this issue. The protest came as Tennessee's Republican-controlled legislature is considering measures to further deregulate guns. One bill would allow people as young as 18 to carry rifles and shotguns in public without a permit. Another would allow education workers to carry concealed handguns on school grounds with a permit. Today begins the funerals for those killed in the mass shooting. Later in the broadcast, we'll speak with Dr. Katrina Green, an emergency physician in Nashville, who joined Thursday's protest at the Tennessee Capitol. Today marks International Transgender Day of Visibility, a celebration of trans and non-binary people. 
Actions and protests are planned across the United States and worldwide, including here in New York, as communities fight intensifying discrimination, violence, and anti-trans laws. On Capitol Hill, progressive lawmakers have reintroduced the Transgender Bill of Rights, the measure revived by Congressmember Pramila Jayapal and Senator Ed Markey would, quote, provide protections for transgender and binary people, ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to thrive regardless of their gender identity or expression, unquote. This year alone, there have been at least 450 anti-LGBTQ bills proposed in state legislatures and Congress. Washington, D.C.'s historically black metropolitan AME Church says it's seeking $22 million in punitive damages against the far-right Proud Boys group for destroying the church's Black Lives Matter sign in 2020 and terrorizing black communities. On Wednesday, church leaders and congregants testified in a D.C. court that the lawsuit seeks to permanently deter the Proud Boys from future attacks. In Russia... Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich pleaded not guilty Thursday to charges of espionage during a brief appearance in a Moscow court. Gershkovich's lawyer said after the hearing he was not allowed in the courtroom and not allowed to see the charges against his client. They held a quick hearing. I don't know how long it lasted. Three minutes, 15 minutes, I don't know. And that's it. And after that, as far as I understand, again, I can only guess what position has been taken. Evan was taken away from here with the decision to hold him in custody. Gershkovich was awarded to be held in custody until May 29th. The Wall Street Journal denied the allegations and is seeking his immediate release. The Biden administration called the espionage charges ridiculous and demanded immediate consular access to Gershkovich. Many foreign news organizations pulled out of Russia last year after President Putin signed a law making it a crime to disseminate what the Kremlin calls fake information about the invasion of Ukraine. The chief executive of Fox News ordered reporters at the far-right network to stop fact-checking Donald Trump's false claims about election fraud after Joe Biden's victory in 2020. That's according to an email from CEO Suzanne Scott, revealed as part of a $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit filed against Fox by Dominion Voting Systems. In a message sent in early December 2020, Scott wrote of the fact-checking, quote, this has to stop now. The audience is furious and we're just feeding them material. Bad for business, she wrote. Another email revealed Scott encouraged Fox News to book Mike Lindell, the CEO of Mike Pillow, and a prominent election denier, saying he would get ratings. And the 2023 Izzy Award for Outstanding Achievement in Independent Media will be shared by The Lever, Mississippi Free Press, and journalists Carlos Ballesteros and Liza Gross. The lever exposes corruption behind the nation's most powerful institutions, leaders, and companies from dark money influence on the Supreme Court to Medicare privatization. Mississippi Free Press is a woman-led team reporting on racial and economic inequities and covered the ongoing water crisis in Jackson while fighting for transparency and public access to open records. Carlos Ballesteros' report for Injustice Watch exposed how two Chicago police officers issued arbitrary denials of U visas, which offer a path to citizenship for undocumented victims of crime 
leading to a review of all denied U visas in Chicago and plans to rework the city's visa procedures. Liza Gross of Inside Climate News uncovered how oil companies have bought the ability to dump toxic wastewater on farms in Kern County, California. An award ceremony for the winners will take place in April. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. When we come back, we'll look at the indictment of Donald Trump, the first former U.S. president to face criminal charges. Stay with us. DemocracyNow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Donald Trump was indicted Thursday, becoming the first former president ever to face criminal charges in the United States. Trump is expected to surrender to authorities and appear in court on Tuesday. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has not released the exact charges against Trump, but according to press accounts, the grand jury indicted Trump on more than 30 counts. Bragg's case focused on hush money payments Trump made to adult film star Stormy Daniels during his 2000. 2016 presidential campaign to cover up his affair with her. The charges come four and a half years after Trump's former personal attorney and fixer, Michael Cohen, pleaded guilty to charges of tax evasion, bank fraud, and lying to Congress about the hush money payments, which he says Trump directed him to make. Cohen served time in prison. Donald Trump is still facing three other major investigations. Veteran prosecutor Jack Smith is leading a Justice Department probe into Trump's role in the January 6th insurrection and attempts to overturn the 2020 election. In Georgia, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is investigating Trump's effort to overturn Biden's victory in Georgia in 2020. And in New York, Attorney General Letitia James has sued Trump and his Trump organization for fraud related to business dealings. On Thursday, Donald Trump responded to the indictment by releasing a long statement that read in part, quote, this is political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history, unquote. In recent weeks, Trump has railed against prosecutors investigating him. Trump recently posted a photo of himself holding a baseball bat next to a picture of Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who's Manhattan's first black DA. Trump has also referred to Bragg as an animal. This all comes as Trump is running for the White House again. Under the U.S. Constitution, Trump can remain in the race even if he's convicted. 
1920, Eugene Debs ran for president on the Socialist Party ticket while in prison. To talk more about the indictment of Trump, we're joined by Ellen Yaroshevsky, professor of law at Hofstra University Law School. Welcome to Democracy Now!, Professor. Why don't you begin with your response to this historic indictment? Relieved that this matter is finally going to be in a court of law rather than just in the media because it's so important to affirm the idea that we have a rule of law and that no one is above the law. So we'll wait and see what a jury does when they hear the facts and they apply the law. Explain what we understand at this point. The indictment has not been unsealed. That apparently will happen on Tuesday when Trump will surrender to New York authorities, it's believed. Um, he will have a mugshot taken, he will be fingerprinted, um, and he will be in court. It's expected. But explain what we understand these charges are about. Well, we don't know for a fact, let, let's say, until the indictment is actually unsealed. What we expect they're about is that he, he falsified business records in the hush payments to regarding the Stormy Daniels matter. And as a result of falsifying those payments, he actually had the intent to influence the federal election. That makes it a felony. If it were just falsifying business records, which is really clear happened because Michael Cohn has served prison time in prison for that, that would just be a misdemeanor. But in order to elevate it to a felony, there has to be another crime, the intent to violate another crime and the thought here is, and it's a thought, it's not proof, that, that the other crime would be to influence the federal election. What's interesting about this, Amy, even though that's an that's a untested theory, um, that three days before this happened was the Hollywood Access tape. And so the idea here would be that because he the Hollywood Access tape undermined his, his election prospects, that he really needed to uh, engage in this conduct to make sure that his record of falsifying payments to hush, falsifying hush money payments wouldn't be revealed. Now, explain that further, because uh, this, the hush payment to Stormy Daniels came less than two weeks before the election and just after um, that tape that was released. Well, it, it didn't matter when the hush money payments were made, right? Michael Cohn talked about the checks. Trump had signed checks and that those were the ways in which they falsified the payments because they claimed they were legal expenses. They were not legal expenses. They were payments to Stormy Daniels. So that, that that's the way that unfolded. And Karen McDaniels, the um, Playboy model, who apparently also got hush, hush money payments. Talk about the charges. And or we don't know what the well, charges are, but how this all relates. Well, we don't know. But what we do know is the we're looking at falsifying business records and any of the payments that were made were made theoretically under. This is what Michael Cohn says, right, is they said that they were legal expenses. They were not legal expenses. They were, they were payments made to ensure that both of those women did not talk and explain what, what had happened. That's why it, that's a misdemeanor to have done that. And when we said that indictment has up to 30 counts, that means 30 different charges, for each of those payments, for each check, 
that could be a different charge. And her name is Karen McDougall. Um, earlier this month, Trump's former personal attorney and fixer, Michael Cohen, spent several hours testifying to a state uh, grand jury in Manhattan. He previously pleaded guilty to charges of tax evasion, bank fraud, and lying to Congress about the hush money payments, which he says Trump directed him to make. This is not revenge, right? What this is is about accountability. I don't want to see anyone, including Donald Trump, indicted, prosecuted, convicted, incarcerated, simply because I fundamentally disagree with them. This is all about accountability. He needs to be held accountable for his dirty deeds. Talk about the significance of what he's saying. Well, he's going to testify. His testimony is significant. Hopefully there will be other witnesses who will testify as well. But a part, a part of the significance is that he will be cross-examined and his credibility will be put at issue. And that will be a significant issue before any jury. Uh, Michael Cohn's made a lot of statements. Michael Cohn spent, spent time in prison. My, Michael Cohn was indicted by the Trump by, by the during the Trump administration. So all of those will be factors as the jury considers Michael Cohn's testimony. So can you respond to those who say that they feel that Donald Trump should be indicted, but for far more serious crimes, among them, for example, inciting the insurrection and the significance of this being put forward and then the how strong this case is. I mean, we're talking about the credibility before a uh, Manhattan jury. Um, you have someone like uh, Michael Cohen, who uh, himself has uh, pled guilty to perjury and who has served time in prison um, and being the, the person who testifies along with Stormy Daniels. Well, let me start here. Alan Bragg is a very careful, diligent prosecutor. He's very experienced. He's been a federal prosecutor. He was a state prosecutor in the attorney general's office where he investigated Trump. So coming into office, he knew very well, I think, what he was up against. He would not go forward, I believe, with an indictment unless there was significant evidence from which their office believes they can prove his case beyond a reasonable doubt. There may be other more significant cases, certainly the idea of an insurrection and trying to overthrow an, an elect, overthrow the government is a very serious charge, much more serious than this. But Alvin Bragg doesn't control that. He doesn't control the Georgia case that Fannie Will Willis is considering. As a prosecutor, you can only take the case that's before you, take the facts that you have and investigate those facts. So. It could be that if the timing had been different, people wouldn't be questioning, why bring this case first? This is the case that Alvin Bragg has. So let's talk about those other cases for a moment. You referred to them quickly, but uh, what he's facing in this federal investigation uh, in Washington, D.C., um, and what exactly Fannie Willis may bring charges against him for, the Fulton County D.A., and then in New York, the Attorney General, um, Tish James. There, there are many, as you pointed out, Amy, these three cases. So first of all, federal charges. Department of Justice brought in a lawyer, Jack Smith, a very experienced lawyer, who is examining the factors around the insurrection. What happened during the insurrection, Donald Trump, Trump's responsibility for it, classified documents. It's an ongoing and a sweeping investigation. We don't know what's going to happen. We do know that it appears that Jack Smith has been very diligent and forthright 
going after witnesses, trying to ensure that the crime fraud exception, for instance, um, would, would allow certain people to come forward and testify, including Mike Pence. Um, and so that's that's going on. We don't know when or if there will be an indictment in that case. So that's one. Fannie Willis had a grand jury impaneled, and the grand jury gave her a report that, that she's now looking at to determine whether or not Donald Trump, through his calls to Brad Raffensperger, trying to, quote, find 11,000 votes so that they could overturn the election in Georgia. That matter went before a grand jury in Georgia, and she's making a determination um, as to whether or not there will be an indictment in that case. A year ago, well, December of 22, Letitia James in New York um, filed a massive civil fraud case. It's, it's fraud and other financial crimes against Donald Trump and the Trump Organization regarding billions of dollars, billions of dollars as a result of overvaluing and undervaluing many of the properties of the Trump Organization and of Donald Trump. That matter is also proceeding. So we don't have a sense time-wise of when or if any of these other cases will, will, will proceed, whether there'll be other indictments, whether the Letitia James attorney general case will go, go to a jury. That, 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 that's all to be determined. All we know right now is, yes, there is one indictment that's this indictment, and it's the first time that Donald Trump or any president uh, will face criminal charges. And even though it's the first indictment, it doesn't necessarily mean it could lead to the first trial. Is that right? And what does it mean if he has charges brought against him in the federal um, in, with Jack Smith, uh, the Justice Department in Georgia and the state of New York? What happens then? Well, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, certainly just because there'll be an indictment and an arraignment, which is when Donald Trump will show up and plead not guilty, presumably, and be released. Um, there'll be a lot of motions that will be made. There'll be a timeline set up for motions. These cases do not proceed quickly. These are white collar fraud cases. They can go on for years. So we don't know when there will or if there will ever be a trial in New York. We also don't know whether Jack Smith will ever indict uh, Donald Trump federally. But if so, the timing will have to be worked out. Obviously, you can't stand trial in two separate cases at the same time. So the courts, the judges will have to decide upon timing. The same is true with respect to Georgia. It may be that the Georgia case could proceed if it's indicted earlier than the New York case. Donald Trump held his first major rally for the 2024 presidential campaign in Waco, Texas last weekend, vowing to destroy the deep state and railing against prosecutors investigating his alleged crimes. This is what he said. When they go after me, they're going after you. The only way to stop these arsonists is to rebuke and reject this evil persecution by sending us straight back to the White House to expel the communists and the Marxists and all of them in 2024. Can you respond to what he's saying? Well, he's, he's asking for mob rule. He's asking us to undermine, this is not the first time, undermine the rule of law and not have a democracy, basically have a world in which Donald Trump um, is the only person whose opinion matters. We have a country and we're trying to uphold democracy and we're trying to uphold the rule of law. And so it's significant here that Alvin Bragg has brought this case, despite the fact that Donald Trump may continue to make such statements, despite the fact that there's going to be quite a reaction, I suspect, 
to Donald Trump's indictment, but we've got to uphold a system where there is a rule of law. He showed video of the violent attack on the Capitol at the Waco rally. Um, he also, of course, had tweeted that picture uh, holding that uh, next to a picture of um, of the Madam DA Brad. Uh, right now, the police department preparing for next week as he has made allusions to people gathering there, calling on every police, um, every police officer to be wearing uniforms. Um, talk about what will happen on Tuesday. I mean, do you expect a perp walk? Do you expect him to be shown with his hands behind his back handcuffed? Donald Trump would probably like to have handcuffs. He'd like that. He'd like a perp walk. I do not believe for a second that the DA is going to do that. The DA is being very careful about this, being very sensitive, I think, about the ways in which he's going to be arraigned. They're going to make special provisions. The police are already called that. And if you go downtown Manhattan, it looks like they're preparing for a war zone. Um, it's very disturbing. I, I, there's no defendant, I think, we know in history, who's ever a potential defendant, who's ever behaved in this session, calling out a mob. That said, there were not that many people there last Tuesday when Donald Trump announced that he was going to be indicted. He wanted many people to come and demonstrate. There were not that many people. It's unclear how many people will be there this Tuesday, assuming he shows up. The police will be prepared. The DA's office is prepared. New York City is prepared. We're not going to succumb to mob rule. We've to uphold the rule of law. Let me ask you about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, Florida will not assist in an extradition request given the questionable circumstances at issue with this Soros-backed Manhattan prosecutor and his political agenda. I unpack all of this. It's shocking. Let's just start there. Never before has a governor said, we are not going to abide by the law. Right. Governors are required, if they get an extradition warrant from a governor in another state, to make sure the person gets sent to the state. So DeSantis first has said, I am not going to uphold the law here. The other part, the horrible part that, that continues to feed racist and anti-Semitic violence in many places is, is talking about Bragg or other prosecutors as Soros prosecutors. That is just a dog whistle for anti-Semitism. And it is just feeding the ways in which this country is terribly divided. I wanted to read for you the beginning of a piece by Chris Hedges in Sheer Post called The Donald Trump Problem. And get your response, Professor Yaroshevsky. Donald Trump, facing four government-run investigations, three criminal and one civil targeting himself and his business, is not being targeted because of his crimes. Nearly every serious crime he's accused of carrying out has been committed by his political rivals. He's being targeted because he's deemed dangerous for his willingness, at least rhetorically, to reject the Washington consensus regarding neoliberal free market and free trade policies, as well as the idea that the U.S. should oversee a global empire. He has not only belittled the ruling ideology, but urged his supporters to attack the apparatus that maintains 
lawfully by declaring the 2020 election illegitimate. The Donald Trump problem, Chris Sessions writes, is the same as the Richard Nixon problem. When Nixon was forced to resign under the threat of impeachment, it wasn't for his involvement in war crimes and crimes against humanity, nor was it for his illegal use of the CIA and other federal agencies to spy upon, intimidate, harass, and destroy radicals, dissidents, and activists. Nixon was brought down because he targeted other members of the ruling political and economic establishment. Once Nixon, like Trump, attacked the centers of power, the media was unleashed to expose abuses and illegalities that had previously minimized or ignored, Chris Hedges writes. Your response. There's always political commentary of any time there is an indictment that, that ends up in the media. So on the right wing, the right wing now, like Trump and others are saying, this is just a politics in action. This is just a political indictment. You're just trying to interfere with Trump's election possibility. So that's on the right. Chris Hedges on the left, you know, is, is indicating that this is done. This is done for other political reasons. So let me just say this: there are always political consequences to an indictment, from which people in the media and the blogosphere can talk about the way in which they see it. But the point here is, we have a system, and we try to have a system of the rule of law, where if people are violating the law, they're violating the law. The prosecutors investigate the facts. They have discretion as to what to do. But we expect, and we, we expect that there will be accountability in law. There may be other consequences from which people can argue politically. For instance, Donald Trump may say, if he is convicted, if he is indicted, it will affect his election. No doubt that is true, or it should be true. It may be true. People may vote for him anyway. But there will be consequences. And similarly, as Chris Hedges argues, you can argue all day long the reasons, the reasons underlying the indictment. But we're looking at cases that, that really are about the legal system and whether we believe in a legal system and the rule of law. Can you compare what's happening now, this unprecedented indictment against a former president of the United States, with what happened to John Edwards, I remember when he was running for president. After nine days, of, he was indicted. After nine days of deliberation, the jury deadlocked on five of the six felony counts against the former senator. Um, the government had accused him of orchestrating nearly a million dollar in payments two wealthy Edwards donors made to hide his pregnant uh, mistress from the media during a critical phase of his 2008 bid for the White House. So yes, in fact, um, there, there were acquittals there, and it's the same question here, which is, were the, can they prove that those payments were made with an intent to influence the election? Apparently there, the jury decided no. But John Edwards, the, the case is a, it's a bit like apples and oranges, comparing John Edwards and what he's done with Donald Trump. Donald Trump has a much longer history. There are many more indications here of what Do Donald Trump did in terms of influencing the election. And ultimately, it's going to be up to a jury to decide whether or not these payments, these falsified business records, were done with the intent to influence the election. The question is, will the jury decide the way the Edwards jury decides? We don't know. We don't know that. Certainly, um, the Don Donald Trump defense will use that in the media and elsewhere to talk about the case against Trump and why it shouldn't, why it shouldn't result in a conviction. Finally, is there a statute of limitations here? 
Well, the, the, that's an interesting question, Amy. The, the, the idea is the statute of limitation was told. That means it was stopped and additional time is added. Told means, because, for instance, because of Cuomo, um, and, and Andrew Cuomo said we're tolling a variety of things because of COVID. So that's one. And there's also a question as to tolling generically under the criminal procedure law. I assume the defense is going to raise that issue. It appears now as if, that yes, in fact, the case can go forward because the statute was tolled from 2016 onward. Well, Aaron, Ellen Yaroshevsky, we thank you so much for being with us, Professor of Law at Hofstra University Law School, as we will continue, of course, to cover this historic indictment uh, throughout next week. Coming up, over a thousand protesters flooded Tennessee's state capitol building Thursday, demanding an end to gun violence following Monday's mass school shooting that killed three nine-year-olds and three adults. We'll speak with an emergency room doctor who took part in the protests. Stay with us. Org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman as we turn to Nashville, Tennessee, where funeral services begin today for the three nine-year-old children killed in a mass shooting at the Covenant School Monday, along with three adults. This comes as a dramatic scene unfolded Thursday as more than a thousand students flooded the Tennessee State Capitol in downtown Nashville to call for gun control. I heard that the shooter at the school uh, last uh, this Monday um, obtained all of their weapons legally, um, and now they're trying to pass concealed carry so that teenagers can carry guns, and I do not think that it makes the problem better arming more people. Joining the students were teachers, parents, and grandparents. This is Debbie Wilbur. It's important for me to be here today because I have children, I have grandchildren, and I am looking for looking out for my future grandchildren. And we just don't have a government here in Tennessee that's willing to do anything about gun laws. And no one, in my opinion, needs an AR-15. I think all weapons like that, assault weapons, should be banned. The only person that should be carrying assault weapons is the military. Protesters also lined the halls inside the state capitol as Tennessee Highway Patrol members escorted lawmakers to the House chamber. As chants rang out in the hall, 
House, two freshman state Democratic lawmakers used a bullhorn on the chamber floor to interrupt the session underway and call on their colleagues to address gun safety. Republicans hold a supermajority in Tennessee's legislature of loosened gun restrictions. Republican Governor Bill Lee signed a permitless carry bill into law at Beretta Gun Factory and state lawmakers failed to pass a red flag law that may have prevented the shooter from legally acquiring three of the guns used in Monday's attack because they'd reportedly been under doctor's care for an emotional disorder. Tennessee Republicans are now considering measures to further deregulate gun laws. One bill would let people as young as 18 carry rifles and shotguns in public without a permit. Another would allow education workers to carry concealed handguns on school grounds with a permit. A recently resurfaced 2021 Christmas card from Republican Tennessee Congress member Andy Ogles, who represents the district where Covenant School is located in Nashville, shows him posing with his wife and children, all holding their long guns, their Christmas card. This was Ogles' fellow Tennessee Republican Congress member Tim Burchett's response to Monday's shooting. It's a horrible, horrible situation, and we're not going to fix it. Criminals are going to be criminals, and my daddy fought in the Second World War, fought in the Pacific, fought the Japanese, and he told me, he said, buddy, he said, if somebody wants to take you out and doesn't mind losing their life, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do about it. For more on what could be done, we're joined by Dr. Katrina Green, emergency physician in Nashville, who's lost patience to gun violence. She joined in the protest at the Tennessee Capitol to call for gun reform yesterday. Thank you for joining us after working a night shift. Talk about the protest and what you're demanding. And also talk about what assault weapons mean when someone is shot by one. And thank you so much for having me. Um, so yesterday was was a tough day for a lot of us. Um, this has been a tough week in Nashville, but it was really encouraging to see how many people showed up at the state capitol yesterday, especially the young people. Um, and the mood in the crowd was, was mixed. Uh, there was a lot of grief. I saw many folks in tears, but mostly uh, people are angry. And, and that's part of the reason why I went down there as well, because... I'm angry. I'm an emergency physician. I have worked at trauma centers here in Nashville and have trained in trauma centers in both Detroit and Indianapolis. And I've treated at this point in my 10 year career about, you know, countless gun violence victims. And um, it's, it's very tough to treat those injuries in the emergency department because it's not just the injury from the direct penetration of the bullet. It's also the reverberation and the ricochet that, that happens as the bullet passes through the body. So the bullet shot from a high-capacity weapon like an AR-15 doesn't just go through and through. It shatters everything that it passes by as it enters and exits the body. So we see just devastating injuries, and, and, and most oftentimes these people are, are dead by the time they reach us. And we do our best, but we lose way too many patients to gun violence. Can you talk about the Republican governor, Bill Lee, um, deregulate, signing off on deregulating guns in a Beretta gun factory? <laughs> yeah, the, the optics of that were, were just infuriating. Um, 
Tennessee has become a state where it just seems like they want everybody to have a gun no matter what. Um, and so signing that bill in a gun factory it basically signals that, that they are siding with the gun lobby and the gun manufacturers, and they really don't care how many people in Tennessee get hurt and die as a result of this guns-for-all policy that they're, uh, they're advocating for. The first funeral is being held today for a little girl, a nine-year-old who loved pink, and they're asking everyone to wear pink to the funeral. She loved bright colors, Evelyn Dickhouse. Um, can you talk about the response of Nashville, uh, of the whole community, and how prevalent is your demand for gun control? So the response from the community has been an outpouring of, of love and togetherness and the sense of community, you know, that's kind of the Nashville way. We've been through a lot in the last few years. We've had a tornado. We've gone through the same pandemic everyone else has gone through. We had a bombing downtown on Christmas Day. I believe that was in 2020 as well. And uh, our community is very good at coming together and supporting those in need in times of need. And that's What's happened this week, we've seen vigils, we've seen outpourings of donations to uh, that school and GoFundMes of the families to help them bury these children. Uh, I myself have a nephew that's nine years old, the same age as these children, and I just cannot imagine what these families are going through. And so I, I wholeheartedly support them and, and just want them to know that they are loved and we are all devastated by the loss that they are feeling. I mean, talking about this heading close to home, the governor who signed the deregulation of guns in a gun factory. Um, on Monday night, his wife, uh, Tennessee's first lady, Maria Lee, was set to have dinner with one of her best friends, Cindy Peake, an old colleague from her teacher days who planned to spend the day as a substitute teacher at the Covenant School. But Peake never arrived home on Monday. Uh, the 61-year-old woman was one of six victims slain in the deadliest school shooting in Tennessee history. What happened at Covenant School was a tragedy beyond comprehension, Governor Lee said in a recorded address uh, Tuesday night, his first extended comments on the shooting. I was reading from the Tennessean newspaper, Dr. Green. Yeah, so, you know, I watched that video as well, and I felt very disappointed in, in that being his response to the shooting. He did not, as far as I know, go down and visit the school to comfort those families. Uh, but I know there were state lawmakers who were there in the church across the street. There was the reunification center holding hands of families that were waiting for word about whether their loved ones were, were alive or coming home. And uh, you know, for Governor Lee's wife, to be so closely tied to the school and for him to not even show up. I mean, there's a reason why the crowd was chanting cowards yesterday, because that's what we all feel collectively as a city that we're the capital city. You know, he's here doing, conducting his business. He lives in Franklin, which is a suburb just south of here. Why doesn't he show up? Why isn't he in our community? I do not see a lot of, leadership coming from our governor, what I see is a failure of leadership. 
You've written a lot of commentary, Dr. Katrina Green, about the fight for reproductive rights in Tennessee, uh, where there was an attempt to criminalize doctors who performed abortions to save the life of a pregnant person. What are your thoughts seeing so much being done to curb reproductive rights, but nothing being done for gun safety? I think it just shows you where the priorities of our state leaders are. They they care more about protecting a potential life in a womb than they do about protecting children who are alive and living and breathing and attending schools. I do not see any concern or care for for protecting precious life that is already you know, present in our community. And and that is, I think, the definition of hypocrisy. I am angry at the fact that reproductive rights have been taken away, uh, but I am more angry at the fact that they won't protect life when it's already born. Um, I, I just, I don't know what else we can do to get through to these people. Um, pro-life is not pro-AR-15. Pro-life is not, you know, lacks gun laws. If you want to protect children, keep guns out of the hands of folks who would do them harm. Do everything possible to to protect them by, by making it harder for folks to commit these atrocities. You know, we don't even have a red flag law in Tennessee, which would have prevented this, you know, the person who committed these acts from purchasing at least some of these weapons. Um, and, and might have been able to get that person better help for the mental distress that, you know, you assume would cause someone to commit a horrible act like that. Um, I, the most common sense thing to me would be to, to institute a red flag law so that we can disarm folks who are going through a, a mental crisis. And not just folks who are, are having you know, homicidal thoughts, but suicidal thoughts. We lose so many Tennesseans to gun suicides every year as well. And I've been present in those emergency rooms as well. And and it is very hard to treat those. And, and those families are in a rough way as well. Well, Dr. Katrina Green, we thank you so much for being with us. Our condolences for your whole community. Dr. Green is an emergency physician in Nashville, Tennessee, who joined in the protest at the Tennessee Capitol Thursday with another thousand people calling for gun control. Well, we're going to go from Tennessee uh, to Florida, which brings up this meme that has been going around. It's a picture of a pile of books, and it says, Never in recorded history has a four-year-old found his father's loaded book and accidentally killed his younger sister. But we ban books. So from Tennessee to Florida to Capitol Hill. On Wednesday, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said Republicans want to see all the facts before proposing any new gun legislation in the wake of the latest school shooting. That prompted a heated confrontation between New York Congress member Jamal Bowman and Kentucky Republican Congress member Thomas Massey, just off the House floor, where Bowman accused Republicans of refusing to save children's lives. Of the mass shootings, 
Thomas Massey responded to Bowman by saying, quote, there's never been a school shooting in a school that allows teachers to carry, unquote. In 2021, Kentucky Congressman Massey tweeted a photo of himself and six family members as kids holding assault-style rifles with the caption, Merry Christmas, P.S. Santa, please bring ammo. This comes after Manuel Oliver, father of Joaquin, one of 17 people killed in the 2018 mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, was arrested at a hearing last week in the Republican-controlled House of Representatives after he and his wife, Patricia, spoke out during a subcommittee hearing on the Second Amendment that was chaired by Texas Republican Pat Fallon. Florida Democrat and committee member Maxwell Frost tweeted a video of Oliver, quote, being arrested for speaking out at a committee hearing. Manny is a hero. He didn't deserve this. So the video shows Capitol Police pushing Patricia Oliver away as they pin her husband Manny to the ground outside the hearing room. Well, Manny Oliver joins us now from his home in Parkland, Florida. He co-founded the gun reform group Change the Ref and engaged in countless protests for action on gun control. He's an artist, and much of what he does is murals and art and resistance. His new op-ed for the Daily Beast is headlined, Arrest Gun-Loving Members of Congress, Not Grieving Fathers. Manny Oliver, welcome back to Democracy Now!, it's been five years since you lost Guac, and so many lost their loved ones in Parkland. And now, week after week, I think in 2023, there is a mass shooting at a school alone every single week in this country. What are you calling for? Well, I'm, I'm calling for a, a, a different reaction from, from us, from you. From, from our neighbors. Uh, this is a, a, a situation that at some point is going to hit, either directly or indirectly. Every time you see someone um, being shot, there's an immediate circle of people that is also being hurt. Uh, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters. So I think it's time to um, really have something so we can uh, stop the absurd debate with uh, representatives that we already know are not willing to do anything, um, and then have like a nationwide strike, educational strike from all levels of education. Uh, this is for the teachers, their place of work, and they don't feel safe. The kids have drills. Our kids train how to survive these shootings. And it's even worse than that. You have to, I want people to understand that what happened on, on that school in Nashville, probably the kids thought it was a drift. 
So put that in your head. And, and, and now let me know if it deserves us to do something more extreme or not. The kids thought it was a drill. That's what you're saying, Manny? That is exactly what I'm saying. Because it, it's terrorizing um, um, possibility, uh, predictable. It's not even a possibility. It's There's a big chance that it could happen. Um, it's, not, it's not like a lottery. It's really easy to happen because we have so weak gun laws and, and the kids are being traumatized on weekly basis. Every day they need to go out for a drill. Our kids have been training how to survive these shootings. And guess what? We are about to hear from someone that we need to train them better. In other words, it's their own fault. They did not train enough. We need to arm teachers. So, because everything is absurd, we need something to negotiate. We need power. And we need people to stand up. This is not about lighting up a candle. You're calling for an education strike across the country. Explain what you want to see happen. Well, I am sick of going to the Capitol Hill buildings, knocking doors, and explaining with my pain, with our suffering, that this is not good. They already told us that they won't do anything. And we have seen it happening for decades. So I think that big changes when society needs them and it's required for them, and this is what we're seeing this week, uh, need extreme solutions. So that's why I'm asking for the power of the educators to get on board. We can stop this from happening. We can really demand things. There's nothing that I can demand now. I don't have the power to demand to politicians, which negligence is not going to move anywhere. So we need to get together seriously. Otherwise, this will vanish, like like Parkland vanishes, like uh, Santa Clarita vanishes, like Obama vanishes. And we cannot allow that to happen. I'm sick of this. And I will do everything that it takes. Everything that it takes. I'm flying to Tennessee tomorrow, by the way. And we have an event on Monday at 10.30. And finally, Manny Oliver, your response to the congressman where you were arrested last week and the police officers, we see Patricia, your wife, um, uh, demanding change in the hearing room and then you being uh, tackled outside and them pushing her away. We have 20 seconds. Well, that's, that's the norm. Um, at this point, it's irrelevant. Getting arrested is something that I'm, I, it happened to me a couple of times, but but I don't regret that because I made my point. Now, I can point at that chairman and say, tell him that you have done nothing. My wife, Patricia, works every day on protecting your kids. So you should be following everything that we do. We're on the right side, Andy. We're on the right side of this battle.
Well, Manuel Oliver, we thank you so much for being with us. And again, our condolences. Uh, Manny is co-founder of the gun reform group Change the Ref, father of Joaquin, one of 17 people killed five years ago in the mass shooting at Marjory Stone in Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. We'll link to your piece in uh, the Daily Beast. Happy birthday to Mike Burke. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Pillar and Factual Hard Hitting Journalism. Al Jazeera English. Okay, Al Jazeera English. Yeah, it's right there. Well, I just want everybody to put the people that died in that fire just on the other side of the border in Mexico in the circle of support. And Rain Bird's brother, I connected with him. I do connect with him. All right. So this is uh, Dr. Teresa Boulard, um, and it's called. Unlocking the Power of Frequency and Vibration. How do we unlock the power of frequencies and vibration? As vibrational beings with a spiritual essence, we extend beyond our physical bodies into multidimensional realms. In this episode, join social scientists and founders of the Academy for Future Science, Dr. J.J. Hurtak, And Dr. Desiree Hurtak. They wrote The Keys of Enoch. And um, The Pistis Sophia was the second uh, uh, book. And they are classics, I guess you would call them like that. Along with Dr. Teresa Boulard. Waikiki, I guess. What is that her second her second name, Rama? I think so. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you say that. W H Y K E. As they explore the fascinating topic of how frequencies and vibrations impact our DNA, discover how we can use frequencies to shift into greater connection and inspiration with our energetic selves, and learn how to contribute to making a positive shift in the collective consciousness. We hold immense power to affect and connect with the universe through our choices and ability to come into greater coherence. Don't miss this enlightening discussion on the intersection of science and spirituality. All right, so let's not miss it. This is the, this is the first one at 37 minutes, 28 seconds. Let's see what happens here. I wanted a place for people to receive authentic guidance and practical ways to awaken. Thought-provoking, paradigm-shifting, and empowering. This is about expanding our human consciousness to create a wave of new possibilities. I'm Dr. Teresa Willard-White, and this is Quantum Minds TV.
Welcome back to Quantum Minds TV, where we take a deep dive into various perspectives of what it's going to take to create a shift in human consciousness. In this episode, we're continuing the conversation with Drs. JJ and Desiree Hertog. I wanted to come back as well to what you mentioned, uh, Dr. Hertog, around uh, music and sound and how these um, understanding how we can tune in to the, the right frequencies uh, to raise our vibration, whether it's through music or chants or um, the, 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 just the right tones and so forth. And then um, I know also that you both worked with uh, Dr. Peter Garyev. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but uh, the work that he has done on uh, both the phantom DNA as well as on um, how we can modulate words and sounds of the correct frequencies into uh, the DNA and it will respond. Uh, can you share a little bit about how you guys are working with sound, number one, and also some of your research and work with Dr. Garia? We did the paper with you, but of course, as many of our students know throughout the world, we've been working with leading composers and musicians for many uh, decades to show that the human mind responds favorably to certain sound frequencies, to certain micro pulses that allow uh, assimilation of knowledge to come in in waves and a greater, so we say, synthesis or synergy. So we are working with what I would call a musical understanding of the human body as a biotransducer of sound and information processing. Right, so we talk about uh, particles, uh, and you're right. I mean, if you look at the electron, proton, neutron, it's another three. There's many of them. I would love to hear that program. I'm sure it's fabulous. The idea being that before that, and even science will tell you, probably before the particle condensated into what it is, maybe it was vibratory frequencies. In fact, of course, the Bohr atom is popular, but even... Uh, more now, if he was alive, would say, hey, it's all more vibration. And it's not just, you know, the, the hard reality of a particle. So that's what Gariah had thought about. He said that even the DNA, in his opinion, was a concretization of a light wave frequency. And that light wave frequency is still present in all of nature. And he felt he could reach the DNA literally by life frequencies penetrating it. And we know that, I mean, if you do kind of too strong nuclear radiation, you can destroy the DNA as an example. But how about using the right frequencies to heal the DNA? And that's what he felt. So he felt that there was the the coding, very much like bone, but on a particle scale, if I can say that, or a DNA scale, there was the coding, there was a light frequency, and that became the physical reality of our DNA. We believe that wholeheartedly as well. So frequency vibration, we've seen also how if you put sound, cymatics, uh, Hans Jenny showed this, you put a sound frequency to particles, they'll form sacred geometries, they'll form special arrangements because of the sound geometry influencing that. So there's this higher understanding that even us, I mean, if you go back to the scroll of Genesis, before we fell into this reality, we had to take on bodies of skin. Well, what were we before we were bodies of skin? You know, how do we get 12 uh, ribcage scenarios? How do we get when we're born 33 uh, bones in the spinal column before they fuse together? How does all this mathematics 
occur. So it's all numerology, right? It's it's, well, it's almost numbers. minor mathematics. It's not and music or vibration together. If we demythologize the ancient scriptures, look very carefully, we will see that there are enormous breakthroughs that take place when we see the story or narrative in terms of a holistic model of humanity rediscovering itself, rediscovering the divine spark of potential in the way that the mind shares its reality with the divine source, vice versa, how the divine source instantaneously manifests or fuses with the mind that explores and expands. And so life is a combination of theos, what the Greeks call the divine mind with anthropos, or we will call the narrative human, rediscovering himself or itself within the larger narrative of vibration. Everything is vibrations. This is mm. what we did with Alice Coltrane, the great singer-composer, Carlos Santana, the very unique, popular singer who realizes we're able to change our consciousness by shifting our vibrations to positive thinking, to positive music. And this has been our contribution working with him and others, trying to get a better scripting for young people to go beyond the age of violence, we will call the lower chakras, into the higher energy fields, of what we will call the Kabbalistic or mystical ideal that we are beings that are capable of connecting with the higher evolution, the higher mind of the universe. And we wanted to play a sample of, of some of your, you know, music compositions with your, uh, you know, the visual and the meditation and things that you have created. So we're going to take a moment to just have a little bit of a consciousness break here and play a sample of that.
I love how you just were describing Dr. Hertog around, you know, that we are, you know, these, these, yes, we have these bodies of skin, but beyond that, we are these vibrational beings, this spiritual essence, this essence of mind, consciousness, whatever we want to call it. But we are multidimensional, multivibrational, and that essence that is the essence that we want to get in touch with beyond the physical body. And when we can, for example, use music tuned into the right frequencies, it helps us shift from this sort of outward worldly focus and into a, a almost more connected to the, the soul. Uh, you know, it opens up this sense of inspiration within us. It puts us more into a whole brain state. And that's the work of Dr. Garyev is, is also showing it even communicates with our DNA when it's the right frequencies, whereas right. when it's wrong frequencies, it's destructive. So, you know, how um, how can we tune into the right frequencies and what are those right frequencies? Well, those right frequencies reveal that we are a collective humanity working with a collective vibration of knowledge, working with the option of taking a higher path as the ideal of mystic would say, or the shaman would say, of service to all humanity as opposed to the ego-centered lower path of simply accumulating everything that's possible to use a figure of speech, uh, getting one's plastic bundle quickly as possible and retiring from life, retiring from responsibility. This is the unfortunate business model in the West. Competition, acquisition, consumption, get as much as you can with your plastic credit card retire. <laughs> We believe just the opposite. We are here to serve humanity. We're part of the divine mind. We are here in a world that is basically a schoolhouse. Right. And so actually we feel that if we get order is actually altruistic, that it's a positive movement. It's actually trying to bring us more into the light. But for the most part, if we spend all our day, you know, listening to news, uh, talking on our cell phones, which actually part of the vibratory system of our body is not helped by the, the frequencies of the cell phone. I often say if, if the creators of the cell phone would realize that we are really frequency beings, they could actually put frequency in waves that would heal us instead of, in some cases, hurt us. But A modern scientist by the name of David Sloan Wilson speaks of the altruistic gene. But whether it's not or not, it's the altruistic profile that we can step into. But when we meditate, what we do is we're able to literally try to get back to our original, we'll say, higher consciousness state. So we're clearing out from our body all that which had come into us during the day. So I think it's important to meditate in the morning, meditate in the evening, to clear our bodies, to clear our minds, to get back in touch with that oneness of the universe, to listen to that still small voice and to know that we are empowered beings of love and of light. And to then, I would say at the end of every meditation, we should literally send that love out wherever it is on the planet, whether it's to our family members, whether it's to our town, whether it's to the other part of the world that's, you know, in chaos or turmoil, whatever it is, whatever you maybe even saw that day, send that energy, send your love, send your power. And this really starts empowering the universe around you. And you'll find yourself connected with many other people. And that, I think, is a big start for people to be able to change and to heal themselves. I, I believe in allopathic doctors when you need them. But before you need them, try to work with yourself and clear yourself 
and make yourself into that holistic being that you truly are. You know, you brought up a good point there with the, you know, at the end of the meditation. So we're, we're tuning in to the still small voice, which usually means we need to connect to silence at some level, uh, silencing the mind and, and allowing for a deepening of our brainwave frequencies so that we can, you know, open up more to the spirit and hear that still small voice. Uh, but then, you know, as we receive that guidance, as we receive that inspiration, as we receive that connection, your point around at the end, take it and, and send out the love that really shifts us between the love and the gratitude and the, you know, the feelings of the heart and sending it out to the world really shifts uh, from it just being, you know, a, a personal experience to then it's, you know, we're sharing it as a collective experience. And that opens up the heart even more. Now, this brings us to some of the work that the HeartMath Institute has done that really shows that when we can, you know, create that coherent heart rate rhythm or uh, the variability of the heart rate can become more coherent again through experiencing things like gratitude and love and positive feelings then we actually, you know, send sig more signals up to the brain to create coherence. And our heart, you know, even they've measured the photons that come off of the heart. I don't know if this is the, this wasn't the HeartMath Institute, but there's been photon measurements that the amount of luminescence that comes off the heart when people are experiencing these positive emotions is like 10 to 20,000 times stronger than when it is just in a normal state of being. Uh, so how do you feel that the heart is playing a role in this shift in collective consciousness? Well, first of all, the Heart of Mount Institute is only about uh, 10 kilometers away from where we are no. here in Northern California. We simply uh, advocate all of their publications. They've done a great service in bringing out the higher path that one must take. Mm -hmm. More specifically, the concept of, uh, of a new mathematical design is part uh, and parcel of this greater map of consciousness. Right. In some cases, they're also saying the brain is part of the heart in a certain sense. So, you know, you are asking also in terms of consciousness reality. And, you know, we believe we're, we're actually here to make choices. We have that one book, It's Our Moment of Choice, which has many people in there, including, uh, as you said, Deepak Chopra and Bruce Lipton, Greg Braden. And the idea behind that is that every moment is our moment of choice. So, you know, we use our brain, we think, to make choices. But what happens if the heart is starting to influence the brain. And I don't mean the emotions of fight and flight and all that stuff. I mean really love, caring, really understanding, having a higher, I call it, and that's what uh, astronaut Ed Mitchell called it too, the overview perspective. If we see the whole scenario of life, not just from ourselves, but from this overview perspective, and then the brain who makes the choice of going that direction or going that direction or putting energy into the system or not putting energy into the system. If that is from our heart centeredness, I think we're starting to achieve our real mission in life. What's our mission in life? To make the right choices. Every moment is our moment of choice. So how are we making those choices? Is it about the ego? I, I need this. I need that. I don't care what he's doing. I don't care what I want. Or is the heart-centeredness of... <laughs> well said, that's right. <laughs> bringing the heart up to the mind. And the ancient Kabbalists would say, what comes first, the mind or the heart? 
Hirakasar and the Da'at, or the Tuferi, the heart. And what heart math uh, scientists have done has shown, oh, they both share a harmonic of interconnectedness on a profound level. The heart is generating and working just as, shall we say, dynamically as all of the aspects of neurological firings of the brain. But the overcoming of the synaptic gap in the brain is done by these heart-to-mind signals, this greater sense of uh, a love-centered cosmology. I mean, think about it. If we started really seeing from another person's perspective, Dr. Jack worked with Ravi Shankar. He could actually go outside of his body and look back at his body. He could see what he was doing. You know, when you have near-death experiences, and you hear this from Eben Alexander, for example, and many others from Raymond Moody's research. You know, life after life. Yeah, the near-death experience starts with a life review, and not from yourself. Not from, I knew that was right. I knew I had to do it that way. It was from the other person's perspective what I did to him. I mean, that's an amazing phenomenon. But that also shows you the consciousness field because you're picking up when you die, not your own consciousness, but the consciousness field that you put out to others. That's an amazing phenomenon. This is called in the ancient uh, uh, text of the Genesis uh, similitude. Or the life review. Immediate and similitude. Similitude was the supportive energy field for the form of life. And the terminology is baselamania, which is the form, kibbutzana, which is the supportive energy field. And that's the breakthrough that's happening in new science. People are realizing, no, we are not simply single individuals in the vast, awesome universe, but we have a supportive energy field that we can use if we wish, which includes the dynamics of mind as well as spirit or the energy that is the interconnectedness of humans with their consciousness counterparts throughout the universe. So all of our brains are interconnected. What I say affects him. What he says affects me. If we start being more conscious and have the heart there, to that loving heart to understand that, we wouldn't be having so much we'll say, you know, um, egoness out in the universe. We wouldn't be object-oriented. We would be oriented. We'd realize the, the love that we need to share to help and support one another. So the heart and that love of the heart really is a unifying force. And when we act more from that heart space, we're going to act more from kindness and compassion and brotherly and sisterly love and so forth. And, you know, when uh, one of the things I love how you brought up the life review, so to speak, because uh, one of the things I've often taught uh, within my students and that we teach in the mystery school is what would you do if you knew that everything you thought, everything you said and everything you did and everything that you didn't do that you should have done was being recorded somewhere and that one day you're going to be held accountable and responsible for that? How might you change? the way you're thinking, speaking, and behaving uh, in this world? And when might you be taking more actions where, you know, the ego would maybe just say, no, I'm not going to get involved, or "Mm, somebody else can do that, right? We would take more personal responsibility for cleaning it up, for cleaning up our thoughts, for cleaning up our communication with each other, for cleaning up our actions, and, and being the ones to really take the actions when we see that some change needs to happen in the world rather than pointing the finger and waiting for somebody else to do it, we would see what can I do? How can I be part of the solution and and initiate that change? Uh, so this really brings us back again to how can we 
be those conscious participants in our evolutionary leap as a collective, not just as an individual, but as a collective. And um, I want to come back to something else that you said earlier, which was, you know, we, we want to lead people towards light. We want to lead our our world towards a, a society and a way of life that is more aligned with the light. And one of the things that we're seeing today uh, in the world, in the consciousness movement, you know, and the people who are seeking to have some consciousness expanding experience is that there's a lot of promotion of using psychedelics to do so. And, uh, you know, I have personally found and witnessed that, that, that the more sustainable way, the way in which we can truly open up those gates and those doorways within our consciousness within ourselves is through using the metaphysical tools, having the practice, the discipline in a spiritual way, such as, you know, using meditation or chants and rituals and mantras, and it's all within us, that we don't need something outside of us to do that. We just need to learn to create it within. But I, I, I often get very concerned about how much the psychedelic movement is being pushed uh, and promoted as the way. And I know that you two have been on this path and on this journey for a long time, and you've seen a lot uh, with your own your own students and, and friends as well. So what can you say to the people who, you know, are, are thinking, are contemplating whether or not they want to go do that ayahuasca journey or, you know, go and do the, the uh, you know, whatever, peyote or whatever it may be. What would you have to say? Well, first of all, I would say one has to be extremely cautious with the comic cultures, the drug cultures. Years ago in the 1970s, I was hired by Walt Disney's brother, Roy Disney, to teach science to young actors and actresses at California Institute of the Art that brought together really the cream of the crumb. And I won't name names, but top actresses, uh, actors were involved with the drug culture and their whole careers were ended. They dropped out, even one of the major directors who worked with with um, Steven Spielberg in the Indiana Jones series, who was to do a feature film with us, took ayahuasca too much and he burned down his brain. So I would say what Jay Krishnamurti said to David Bone years ago, he said that, that uh, dropping or taking drugs to see uh, God or to have a higher experience is the most degenerate thing that you can do. You would destroy your brain. I would say young people throughout the world have to look very carefully at the, should we say, the quiet dictums or insights given by great thinkers and philosophers that everything has to be done in a matter of moderation and one should not indulge in drugs, uh, particularly now with the advances of the physical gifts that we have made in our research at Stanford Research Institute and leading think tanks. The mind already has the knowledge of the mystery school. So we don't have to go to artificial or Alan Watts puff on magic to see God or the divine. It's already built within our neurochemistry. Absolutely. I'll just confirm what he said. You know, many people do want to have the experiences that we've been talking about today. But in actuality, the bottom line is you're not going to get the higher dimensional experiences. Yeah, you'll get certain uh feelings and vibrations and and maybe visions and things like that but according to many and one of the friends we had talked to about this was a guy named pat flanagan who was who created the whole pyramid power research institute and he experimented with a lot of these drugs he says most of these drugs actually just keep you on a certain 
physical level of experience. It's not taking you to those higher dimensions that we're all trying to reach and many have experienced. Uh, Dr. Jack had a unique experience in the 70s, non-drug related. We've had many- You look so spiritual music, the names of God that produced that experience. Yeah. And I think told us before he died, you know, he went into a state of seizure. He said he felt entities trying to steal his soul. He said, whatever it is, please tell your friends, students in particular, not to go the way of drugs. I remember a conversation with Carlos Castaneda at UCLA back in the 1970s, where I told Carlos, I said, uh, you're favorably disposed to the drug culture. I said, your students will wind up as uh, not lords of life, but lords of the flies. Their bodies will wind up in garbage cans. And after that, Carlos uh, Castaneda shifted his psychology, say, stay away from drugs. So sometimes you have to confront really those individuals who think it's chic or nice to be part of the drug culture, but that is not really the way to the higher hierarchy of the cosmic creation. So let's talk about these other dimensions when we say people want to have experiences that are outside of themselves, basically. You know, not only does remote viewing do that, but, you know, what exists in these other dimensions? If I was to experience the fifth dimension, the eighth dimension, you know, it's it's not just me up there. I always say that people think, oh, you know, you think about the eighth dimension, you think of yourself lying, floating around. But there's other beings of energy that are there that will greet you, that will communicate with you. They're not on drugs, actually. They actually (laughs) are there to help you, to take you into other realities, to show you the mysteries of life, the mysteries of the universe. You know, you you mentioned the, the, you know, the earthbound energies when we do take, you know, I mean, a lot of the people in the, in the today's psychedelic movement, they might say, well, it's natural, therefore it's good for you. But, you know, even these natural uh, plant-based medicines that they call them, as you're saying, they're earthbound. So they will limit the frequency to earthbound levels, which they're, and you're mentioning these higher dimensions, which go far beyond the earth plane. And those higher dimensions will never be accessed when you're being anchored and limited to earthbound energies by uh, a plant medicine, for example. So, you know, it's it's not that people can't have a good experience on it. I mean, they might have a really, you know, eye-opening experience. But, you, you know, you mentioned, Dr. Hurtak, the, the um, Carlos Castaneda. And I think that in some ways, when I read his first book, um, he he showed that you know, in the ancient times, it really was an apprenticeship process. You would, like, the apprentice would be studying with the shaman for years and years and years and have their ego broken down and they receive training and then they'd have to go out into nature. They'd have to identify things. They'd learn a lot of, you know, they'd have a lot of education. They'd have to have a personal relationship with the plant before they'd ever even do the ceremony, you know, the initiation ceremony of, of certain cultures. Um, not all cultures that had initiations did plant, you know, medicine, which I think, you know, the people who are trying to claim that it was all based on uh, psychedelics are, are really misleading people because there's a whole bunch of them that never did that. Um, but they only might have done it once. And then if they did it correctly, the door should have been opened and they would never need it again. Um, and And now in the culture today, it's like they're not developing the relationship. They don't the apprenticeship there's no you know years of study there's no breaking down of the ego and they go in as a tourist to just partake 
uh, and have the experience and shortcut the process of trying to really open up these gates of consciousness. But then there's always a cost when there is a shortcut. Right. This was this is the research of my late colleague, Dr. Andre Kuharch, who was, who was the foremost parapsychologist in the 1970s and 80s. He studied uh, the use of plant medicine with the Lacedonian Indians in Mexico. He called this uh, psychotropics. And his conclusion was, as you just said, uh, if you do not have the breakdown of the ego, look carefully with a spiritual guide or a master chemist, uh, your mind is taken over, possessed, and worship your whole consciousness frontier degenerates and we've talked to shamans throughout the world and we work with shamans all over the planet and some of them are very upset with the way the uh we'll say north american culture yep. and the european culture has been misusing the traditional medicine now, it used to be like you said a one-time thing or a sacred ceremony that would take place once a, a year maybe once a lifetime depending on the, the culture but not every once a month here to have an experience i mean it really is it's, it's misusing that energy, and it really is burning out people. They're getting ungrounded. They're not realizing why they are here on this planet at this time. And I would just say everyone has their own unique mission of why we're here, but we really need to make the clear choices to help humanity to make a difference because otherwise we shouldn't be here at all. But uh, we are placed on this planet. This is a key time. And if we reach out... If we reach out, we need a vibratory mantra to surround the body, to protect the body from unknown or unwanted entities. Well, let's go back to Barbara Marks Hubbard. You know, it's a crisis time, and we all need to be bring the solutions either locally or globally to the crisis so that we can move forward into a positive co-creation. And uh, yes, there are other dimensional realities, and I know you'd like to talk about that for a minute as well. We believe, and we've said this in, in many books, that there are various types of intelligences not limited to this planet. And uh, we, of course, extraterrestrials are probably going to be a common term in the next 10 to 20 years. But we also believe there are avatar-type beings. We would call them, in a modern term, extra-celestials. They've maybe been here, but then they've evolved beyond the physical form, much like you see on some of the Star Trek or Stargate movies. And then there are what we would call ultra-terrestrials. These are beings that have never really physically come here, but they still can connect with us. We would call them in ancient times the angelic forces, archangels, the positive forces, avatars. And all these beings are here to help us. All these beings, not extraterrestrials, have, they're pretty much like our planet. Most people are here to help us. Other people don't want to help us at all. So that's really what we classify. The, extra, the local universe, as far as we're concerned, is very much like our world. It's not that much different when you get out there in space. There's mm -hmm. lots of life forms. There's lots of positive ones. There's a few negative ones. That's what we think are local. Mm. And, you know, even with humanity, if we look at humanity, you know, 99% of people on the planet are good people in their hearts. They're just trying to do the best they can. Many of them might be you know, operating out of ignorance or faulty programming, but in their hearts, they're good people. And, uh, you know, so yes, there are good people. There are, there are those who are malicious, but the people who are truly intentionally and purposely malicious tend to be the small percentage, a very small, small percentage. And that's why we need that other small percentage of the people who are ready to really be 
anchoring the light and harnessing and, and achieving a certain level of self-mastery and awakening in the light so that they can, you know, tip the scales in the other direction to create that collective shift in consciousness, that up-leveling and awakening. And, you know, I, I think that the unfortunate piece when, you know, with, with the sort of trendy movements of, of the psychedelic, for example, is that it is it's a distraction. It's not a tool to awakening. It might help people open up their concepts and their perceptions if they've been really narrow, but that's not the way to do it when you're looking to really, truly achieve a higher state of consciousness. It becomes a distraction. And, and as, 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 you know, Dr. JJ, you know, said that when, uh, when somebody's, you know, inhaling, ingesting, whatever they are, especially when it's a plant and there's an entity associated with it, they're giving permission for that entity to take up residence within them. And then what is the long range effect of that? What is the consequence? What is the energy exchange that it extracts from us that we may not be aware of that it is extracting? So there's always, you know, a, a, a potential damage that comes, even if in the moment it might be a, a good experience for some people. The long range seems to be detrimental, especially when they do it repeatedly uh, and and not in the right conditions and circumstances. And it wasn't their culture that they were raised in, right? If they go with the the tourism, um, and and yet they're good people. They're people who truly are seeking to awaken, to you know, have some something that helps them get beyond their ego mind and into, you know, is there really a, a spiritual reality to this experience? And and you know, so there can be a, a good way to harness that desire. But I think that the the key, as you're saying, uh, Desiree, is that we really are at such a critical time on the planet that we need to really focus towards what is going to make a positive contribution, not just from a place of my own selfish perspective in my life, but from a perspective of the whole, because we are part of that implicated order. We are part of that noosphere. Right. I would say go with the science in this case, maybe not in every case on the planet, but the bottom line is that the science of, we'll say, bone that tells us that there's a universal consciousness field, which means all solutions. And quantum physics, is, quantum physics tells us there's an answer, there's multiple possibilities to every single thing. And that's so important. There are solutions to everything that there is. And I don't know one scientist that took a drug and got a solution. I really don't. I know many who have tuned into that higher quantum field who, through meditation, through dreams at night, have gotten that answer to solutions mm -hmm. and brought that science into manifestation. I think that that's why we really need to go back to meditation, to understanding our dreams are not only keeping us here just for fanciful nation, notions of understanding, but that actually it can take us into areas where we can receive information from the quantum consciousness field and bring those solutions into reality. So we can choose to go to higher consciousness levels rather than choosing uh, uh, drugs or uh, anywhere of the lower social isms to be connected with in terms of every emotional body. We can choose the, the higher levels of consciousness. This is the work that uh, Dr. Elizabeth Bauscher, work at Stanford Research Institute, emphasized so much that we have a choice to make in our consciousness shift when both sides of the brain come together. 
we are opening a whole new threshold for multiple choices and consciousness that is done with the knowledge of the higher heartbeat is the one that's most successful. Join us again as we continue to dive deeper into this fascinating conversation with the Hertox on the next episode. This conscious conversation was created, produced, and recorded by Dr. Teresa Bullard-Wyke in collaboration with Drs. JJ and Desiree Hertak and edited by Verse Content and HH Films and Photo. The theme music was created by Tim Mountain of Evenload Productions. Quantum Minds TV is a product of the Quantum Learning Academy. Part two. Oh, it's 26 minutes long. Yes, that's that's good thing. Okay, we have enough time for that. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's see here. Um, get near. <clears throat> that was very interesting. Mm. We've played some things with J.J. Hertek and Desiree before. I wanted a place for people to receive authentic guidance and practical ways to awaken. Thought-provoking, paradigm-shifting, and empowering. This is about expanding our human consciousness to create a wave of new possibilities. I'm Dr. Teresa Willard-White, and this is Quantum Minds TV. Welcome back to Quantum Minds TV, where we take a deep dive into various perspectives on what it's going to take to create a shift in human consciousness. In this episode, we're continuing the conversation with Drs. JJ and Desiree Hertak. So we're we're bringing the whole brain state. We're uniting the brain and the heart, right through that more uh, heart coherent state. And then we also have the other brain, which is the brain inside the gut. And, you know, the, the, there's just as many, you know, glia cells and, you know, the serotonin levels in our body are produced within the gut, which then inform the moods and so forth in the brain. And we know also from the vagus nerve, for example, that, that the, uh, parasympathetic nervous system, you know, is, is very much controlled by and that 80% of the information flows upstream from the gut and the heart up to the brain rather than downstream from the brain down. So we need to really get in touch with our, you know, what is our heart feeling and what is our gut feeling and bring, you know, that can cut, tie back into our intuition uh, when we, we think of those sort of gut feelings um, and and the, the stillness, you know, and if we just bring the breath in, for example, you know, if people are wanting ways to connect to higher states of consciousness, for example, just we mentioned music, right? But there's also the breath. And we know that um, chanting or singing or even humming. Oops. I can't change things. Sorry. What did you do? Oh, I tried to get a song. I'm sorry. I, I... You can get a song in the other room, honey. Yeah. I'm sorry. Let me go ahead a little bit here. 
I wanted a place for people to receive authentic guidance and practical. So we're we're bringing the whole brain state. We're uniting the brain and the heart, right, through that more uh, heart-coherent state. And then we also have the other brain, which is the brain inside the gut. And, you know, the, the there's just as many, you know, glia cells and, you know, the serotonin levels in our body are produced within the gut, which then inform the moods and so forth in the brain. And we know also from the vagus nerve, for example, that, that the... Uh, parasympathetic nervous system, you know, is, is very much controlled by, and that 80% of the information flows upstream from the gut and the heart up to the brain rather than downstream from the brain down. So we need to really get in touch with our, you know, what is our heart feeling and what is our gut feeling and bring, you know, that can cut, tie back into our intuition uh, when we, we think of those sort of gut feelings um, and and the, the stillness, you know, and if we just bring the breath in, for example, you know, if people are wanting ways to connect to higher states of consciousness, for example, just we mentioned music right? But there's also the breath. And we know that um, chanting or singing or even humming, when we use our vocal cords, it vibrates certain, you know, bones within the ear, which then stimulate the vagus nerve, which then stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, which then, you know, helps bring us into a coherent state again, or a more restful state. And then you mentioned uh, the chanting of divine names i mean the and ancient sacred mantras and so forth like these are ancient technologies from the wisdom traditions for how we can access those higher states of consciousness it's just that we have to do more work and take responsibility for it versus trying to take a shortcut and just having it done to us yes the vagus system connects with the spinal column and the human biocomputer is energized through the prana or the breath this process through the use of mantras. Yes, we totally believe that you can use mantras from the east or the north or the south. Om is a vibrational frequency. Om Mani Padme Om. All these actually help to enhance the brain. And I just want to say, as much as a gut is important, I realize that the gut is really controlling a lot of systems in your brain frequency. I also want to point out that there's pyramidal cells in the brain, which are also three-sided, so to speak, that really are pyramidal cells, they don't like to say that word, that are part of this resonant vibration. So we believe the whole body, in many ways, the blood system, the brain system, the heart system, of course, connected with the blood, are receptor cells and for even the DNA. consciousness. Even the DNA, right? Even the right. DNA. Right. There is a... A template that is orchestrated by these pyramidal cells that uh, Dr. Thompson at UC Irvine in Southern California pointed out many years deals with the flexibility of the brain to entertain and to receive more information and process it. So we really are vibratory frequencies, and I would say in a summary of the uh, um, process that we use for meditation, one could then use the names like you many Eastern traditions talk about, like the Omani Pami, bring that energy in, you're calling forth to the highest levels or 
in Christ consciousness, you can use the name Christ, 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 whichever you want to use, whatever your tradition is, you're calling in that energy. And then be there with the still, small voice to receive, to heal your body. Let that energy also heal you both physically. So check this out. My, uh, my son was headed off to camp, right? And he shared a really cool thing with me before he went. I asked him, I said, so what are you hoping to get from this? He said, bye-bye. I just want to meet new people and do cool things. <laughs> Physically, emotionally, consciously, clear yourself with the energy fields that you gather throughout the day go back into your true higher self we believe actually we've done a whole book called over self awakening because we believe that you actually have this higher self which is there also helping you it's not always just other beings out there you have a higher presence that's actually trying to get through to you on a daily basis as well and then use your physical reality to send that energy out to the planet your consciousness reality if you if you will if you're just sitting in one place send that energy out to the planet so bring the energy in from the highest source you can listen learn and then send that energy out and really you do that daily your whole life changes i had a friend that said to me you know at one point she was married she had a job she was loving everything was going on she knew she, what she was doing wasn't right. There was something wrong. She said, I really want to help humanity no matter what it is. Within six months, her entire life shifted. And it really makes a difference. You just have to put it out there really from the heart, not from the intellect. That's not going right. to work from the heart. I really want to be in a place where I can help humanity. And then go with the flow. Don't block. That's a, that's a moment in our lives that in the mystery school tradition I've studied with that we call self-initiation that we are initiating ourselves to be a contributing member in a more positive way to the collective of humanity. And that point is a, a pivotal point that anyone who's on a spiritual journey, no matter what path they follow, they probably hit that point to, of, of time in their lives where they said, I know there's more to life than this. I know there's a higher purpose or something greater that I can be doing. There's more to me and I am gonna now commit myself to that journey of discovering that, to playing an active role in that, to making it a priority in my life. And when we self-initiate like that, it is a turning point in our lives. Things will very rapidly start to change and put us on a new path. And But as you say, it can't just be a mental thing. It's got to really come from the heart. It's got to come from the depths of our being to say, this has to change and I'm ready to be that change. I'm ready to start making this a priority. And I love how you both have created these tools, you know, that, you know, through meditation and music, all of, of course, your books, you have your visual meditations as well, how you bring in the sound, bring in the sacred chants, and as ways to support people in reaching those higher states of consciousness. I've actually done some similar things. I have uh, a whole series of albums that I, you know, collaborated with a musician on to create uh, called Kabbalah Chants and is working with all the divine names of the tree of life and, uh, you know, tuned into the frequencies that correspond with each part of the tree, uh, you know, so it's a series of 11 different meditations. And, you know, these, these divine names are very powerful. 
And and as we even just listen to them, but also especially as we then chant them, they create such a shift within us that you can experience, you know, that that more expanded consciousness and, and a higher high than any drug could possibly give you. And it's natural, meaning it's endogenous. It's something you create within yourself. The powers within you, we just need the right keys, the right knowledge, and, and the right applications, the ways of applying that knowledge. Knowledge all, is all within, as you said, uh, JJ. It's all within us. And yet we, it's like a process of remembering what we already know. It's a process of reawakening to the knowledge and the wisdom that is within. And I have found that studying the ancient mysteries and the ancient wisdom teachings and learning the practices of these ancient traditions, um, especially, you know, more from a, a higher kind of way, like a, a higher energy way, a hermetic way, or a Kabbalistic way, you know, where it's beyond just shamanism. I think shamanism has its place, but there's higher dimensions that we can reach through other methods uh, that we want to now be reaching, especially to create this leap in collective consciousness that we are poised to make and that we really need to make because we are at a critical time on the planet. So, Yes, I wanted to add, if I could, uh, yes, please. Uh, as um, social scientists and musicologists, Desiree and I had the opportunity to work with indigenous people in South Africa and the jungles of Brazil and Guatemala, Mexico, and throughout the world. And we've always noted in the sociological plan that there was a healing center or a musical center, usually as a temple or as an ashram or as a divine circle through which the vibrations would be sublimated and then sent out as tributaries in a variety of directions. And this was the language of music and paraphysics that allowed the ancient to maintain a cohesiveness of coherency and a higher communication signal, much like what we see in the insect world or even with the animals who can communicate with sound waves that we don't properly understand. Certainly the dolphins have this ability, but we are able to harness them by our biofeedback studies and musical studies with leading musicologists, the fact that the ancients by and large and the movements of thought considered the world of humanity as a co-participant in a divine process. And this is through musical slash uh, vibratory induction. Uh, mm -hmm. There are many schools of thought that have separated uh, science and the rigors of science from the musical thought patterns, but now here in the 21st century, thanks to your work and others like you, we're beginning to see the cohesiveness of a great uh, mosaic of life that's been overlooked. Let's take a pause from this fascinating conversation to enjoy a quick consciousness break. Pickle is way too complicated for the average person. Yes, not really. Pecom guides them through it.
And just to bring this uh, full circle, going back to Bohm and to the whole understanding, yeah, wisdom is also within us, but actually all wisdom is around us and outside of us. And in a certain sense, we are biotransducers. So if we open our consciousness thoughts and say, I need this information, or this is what we need to help humanity, that information can be and will be available, both from our higher self and from the cosmic others who are there trying to help this planet. There are many beings trying to help, but we have to be the ones, we're the physical beings, we're the ones making it happen, positively or negatively. Exactly, and and I think that that is very true with one caveat, that we have to be ready to serve with that knowledge, right? We can't just say, I need it now, I want it now, because I want it, right? It, it It's not for selfish purpose, it is, it's we're on a need to know basis and if it helps us in our life to move forward in our purpose and progression and or if we're going to use it to serve humanity and this collective shift then it will come then we you know those doors will be opened and we you know we knock and we receive uh but it's the intention around what do we need that knowledge for i think that is very important and, uh, you know, if I can also, JJ, just coming back to your comments about the temples and, and the vibratory chambers that were used in ancient times, uh, I would also add to that that many of these ancient sites and temples were put upon ley lines, you know, power spots, where when they not only did they create and construct the chamber that was a resonant chamber to be able to amplify the sounds that were generated by the people within it, but it was also then, you know, vibrating into the ley lines of the earth and sent all around the globe. And, you know, this is why we see it so many uh, uh, places where the magnetic lines of the earth come into a uh, nexus point, you know, we see these ancient sacred sites often. So I love, like, for example, with the Aborigines, they, they talked about listening to the song lines and then the star lines, you know, that there was the song lines of the earth and then, and they listened to those and follow those and they drum and didgeridoo and work with those. And then there's also the star lines of the stars and, and the, the tracks that they made across the sky. Right. So just like the ancient Mayans had the understanding of the stars being in key places of the universe. And I believe that that's true when you look at Orion, the Pleiades, Ursa Major, Ursa Minor. I mean, these geometries are all unique. I mean, they're there. And for us to observe and enjoy but there's also similar matrix grid points upon the earth and they align with the stars. Actually, there was a young 15 year old from Canada and he went to the Canadian Space Authority and he goes, I know why all these pyramids are in the Yucatan and he aligned them with the stars, a 15 year old. And he mm-hmm. even says, one's missing. Well, a corner of Orion was missing and he, he looked and they looked and they said, yes, there's something there. I mean, they're all part of a grid alignment. The Keys of Enoch, Dr. Hurtak's initial book, actually talks about this back in terms of the natural and artificial time warps and the whole unfoldment of life in terms of vortex points around the planet. And we have the opportunity with ENA, which is the Scientific Institute of Studies of Anthropology in Mexico, to do the uh, systematic study of musical with quavers and semi-quavers within the major pyramids of Yucatan Peninsula, showing that there's a vibratory matrix that matches the pyramids that we study also in Egypt mm-hmm. and, and also in China. So 
the ancients throughout the world knew that there was a basic musical vibratory vocabulary that they built their temples on. And when one would enter into these, we would call them energy fields, uh, consciousness could be cultivated into higher artistic in musical states of collective awareness. So we took computers into the sound chambers, like deep into the uh, Palenque pyramid. We've actually done it also in pyramids in Egypt. And we actually recorded the overtones and in some cases the undertones, which I believe actually takes us into alpha and theta frequency waves. But for example, for sound, if you actually uh, take one of these room frequencies and then you go next door and, you, and they've been pasted over because they've had a repair, you lose the frequency vibration, which is interesting. The original building materials were used for the vibratory nature. And, and this is in our new book called Jesus Industrial Complex to show that the ancients of Egypt actually understood mathematics and use of hydraulics in a much higher way and sense than we have previously imagined. Mm-hmm. So. In so many ways. I mean, I, I've had this experience as well, especially in Egypt, you know, as well as in uh, Benda Palenque and, and near the Yucatan. And it is an incredible experience when you step inside one of those chambers, especially when it's still 100% intact from its, you know, original state and materials versus it's been altered in some way or or partly destroyed in some way. But when you step inside one of these chambers that are intact and then you bring forward you know the sounds and especially when you know how to achieve like the right harmonics and overtones and undertones i mean it is it it is an altering experience because it's such a you know everything within you vibrates and one person's voice sounds like you know a whole chorus because there's all of this uh, reverberation and resonance that happens within those chambers without a doubt they were very aware of what they were doing. They were very precise in how they were building their temples. And they were very much harnessing sound technology as a, an integral part of their tradition and, and their initiatory processes. And, you know, however they were working with uh, the galactic energies as well as the earth energies. And it's, a, it's an amazing time on the planet where we we have the the remnants of these ancient technologies still today that we can see, and yet even with our modern science, we can't repeat it. So that brings up the question of where did these ancient technologies and knowledge come from? Absolutely, the Great Pyramid. Uh, we really cannot build it. Many people say that. Yeah, maybe you can put brick upon brick upon brick. Or the Japanese try to do it with modern technology. We have that actually on our YouTube channel, the Nippon Corporation. Try to, but you know, you don't, you're not including the small star shafts or air shafts, as some people call them, which go all the way up. You're not including the weight of the big stones and uh, the material itself, right? 80 tons up in the highest places where we don't even have cranes that can reach that kind of construction right today. The kind that were used by UNESCO to move the statues along the Nile. So, I mean, we do believe that there was some uh, unique energies and the mathematics certainly is from the top down. That's what we often say. Yes, it may have been sound. We were part of a, Dr. Jack was actually part of a film that was, uh, I believe, NBC, was it? Uh, Mystery of the Sphinx. And they talked about sound frequency vibrations, but certainly certain types of Wave frequencies probably were used, at least in some part, to construct the massive stones that were there. So the Great Pyramid is considered of the Bible in stone by some metaphysicians because the mathematical calculations 
the different vibratory uh, sounds that were captured in each of the chambers represent basically the different circulatory pathways of the human heart, the human body system, wow. and also the human uh, induction system of music. And so we have a perfect model of how the human body from the inside would work in the calculation of sound movement. But we don't even go there to say who built it. We actually just say, wow, the building is fabulous. And the sound frequencies you get in the King's Chamber are amazing. It really puts you into these altered states. And many people have done meditations in there. I don't the know. seven wonders of the ancient world represent really the seven chakras, the seals, energy points of our body, where the paraphysical, the astrophysical, the biophysical all converge to the heartbeat. And again, this is going back to heart math of why we need to be heart-centered in our new science, science of the future. For without love, without compassion for humanity, the game of life is just numbers or abstract concepts. Mm-hmm. That's interweaving that we have before us. We're living in a tremendous time of the finding of the microcosmos within us, the microcosmos around us, and the temple or tabernacle of the human spirit as Holy Spirit when we become holistic. Mm, that's beautifully said. And and so I think that that brings us to a really good place that, that ties everything together that we have been discussing. And, uh, you know, we you, you said before, we are, you know, citizens of the future. And ultimately, we even maybe have a destiny to become citizens of the, the galaxy and to venture out into space beyond this earth. Um, and so, you know, we want to really see ourselves as cosmic beings in addition to celestial in addition to terrestrial you know we're all of these levels of being so do you have any final messages um that you would like to leave people with to to give them that sense of hope for the future as well as how they can be active participants in playing a part of this shift in collective consciousness well as you said we are multi-dimensional beings we can experience right now Life in or experiencing thoughts happening in the eighth dimension, according to Elizabeth Rauscher. She called it eight space. So we can go into the future. We can go into the past. We can go into other planetary systems or parts of the cosmos. This is who we are. We just need to tap into that. But we are also cosmic citizens in a vast and awesome universe. And yes, I believe at this time, the quarantine is being lifted for the whole planet, and we will be going into contact or having contact, making contact with other levels of intelligence, other cosmic beings, other extraterrestrial beings who will introduce us to other realms. Now, the thing is, they don't want us there. If we're going to bring our nuclear weapons, if we're going to bring negativity there, that's why we've been quarantined. If we're ready to change, we can go forward. We are part of the galactic universe. We are part of a living universe. We are part of a divine universe. It is all within us, but also surrounding us. And in the balance of the greater with the inner, the lesser with the greater, the cosmic dance of life continues. So we realize that we are co-creators. We are the universalis, rediscovering itself. Homo meaning humanity, universalis meaning universe. We are a living demonstration of the divine spark in human form. Mm, beautifully said. That is so capturing the essence of that as above, so below, as below, so above, as the inner, so the outer, as the outer, so the inner. And yet it was so poetic the way you just 
conveyed that to us. So thank you. And I think that that is a perfect place to conclude our conscious conversation. So thank you so much, uh, both to both of you. This has been such an amazing and mind expanding and dynamic and highly intelligent conversation. You both have so much wisdom and so much experience to share. And I'll look forward to future conversations with you as well. So everyone, thank you to and also the to the stars. That's our motto because we are living again in a fantastic time of rediscovering the higher evolution. The blueprint of life, which is within our human heartbeats. With love and gratitude to all of you, thank you so much for having us, Teresa, as your guest. Thank you. All right. Thank you. So that brings us to the end of this conscious conversation with Drs. JJ and Desiree Hertog. And thank you again so much for joining me and for sharing your vast experience and insight with all of us. This Conscious Conversation was created, produced, and recorded by Dr. Teresa Bullard-Wyke in collaboration with Drs. JJ and Desiree Hurtak and edited by Verse Content and H.A. All done. Mm. <laughs> wow. All right. That was, that was, that was amazing. Thank mm-hmm. you. And, okay, Rainbird. You got the t- topping on this cupcake? <laughs> <I've had> this. <laughs> oh my gosh! From Cryon of Magnetic Service, I mean, that that was a really good one tonight too. And yeah, and Teresa and her talk, awesome. Lots of gratitude for tonight, and looking or and looking forward to later this afternoon. So, and I will be doing the opening tomorrow. Oh, all right. Yeah. Looking forward. It's yes, it is indeed. I Uh, passed the (laughs) seventy-six. Okay. Okay, Ram. Real quick, what you got? This is Alan Watts. Everything is God. Okay, everybody. Everything is God. Thank God. Mm-hmm. As the electrons will bring it up. <laughs> coming. It's coming. I've been talking to you about the mystery of the curious sensation of nothingness that lies behind ourselves. First of all, I gave you the illustration of the blank space behind the eyes, about the silence out of which all sound comes, and about empty space out of which all the stars appear. And you remember that in the last talk, I likened this curious emptiness behind anything, behind everything, to God, an imageless, non-idolatrous God of which we can have no no conception at all. And I've also pointed out that basically when you really get down to it, 
That emptiness is yourself. Now, it sounds very odd in our civilization to say, therefore, I am God, or for that matter, you are God. But you will remember, of course, that this exactly is what Jesus Christ felt. And he was crucified for it because in his culture, God was conceived as the royal monarch of the universe. And therefore, anybody who gets up and says, well, I am God, is blasphemous. He's subversive. He's claiming to be, if not the boss himself, at least the boss's son. And that's a put down for everybody else. But Jesus had to say it that way because in his culture, they did not have, as the Hindus have, the idea that everybody, not only human beings, but animals and plants, all sentient beings whatsoever, are God in disguise. Now let me try to explain this a little more clearly. Because I cannot help thinking of myself as identical with, continuous with, one with, the whole energy that expresses itself as this universe. If the universe is made of stars, a star is a center from which energy flows. In other words, there's the middle and all the rays come out from it. And so I feel that as the image of the whole thing that all energy is a center from which rays come out. And therefore, each one of us is an expression of what is basically the whole thing. Now, therefore, whereas in the West, in the Jewish, Christian, and Islamic religions, we have thought of God not only as a monarch, but as the maker of the world. And as a result of that, we look upon the world as an artifact, a sort of machine created by a great engineer. There's a different conception in India, where the world is not seen as an artifact, but as a drama. And therefore, God is not the maker and architect of the universe, but the actor of it and therefore is playing all the parts at once. And this connects up with the idea of each one of us as persons, because a person is a mask. From the Latin word persona, the mask worn by the actors in Greco-Roman drama. So this is an entirely different conception of the world, and as I think I shall be able to show you, it makes an amazing amount of sense. So we start from the premise that you, and you don't know who you are, you can't see yourself, and as I pointed out, you don't know how you grow your body, how you make your nervous system work, how you manage to emerge in this environment of nature. And so this unknown you, the you that is not you, the you that is not the ego, this is God. That is to say, not the cosmic boss, 
But the fundamental ground of being, the reality that always was, is and will be that lies at the basis of reality. That's you. Thank you, everybody. This was, this was a, well, I would just say this was a, a very enlightening evening, for me anyway. And as we are saying, until we meet again this afternoon, Satnam. Satnam Ji. Aho Vitakbiyasan. 13, thank you. Tani in the art, no. In the heart, no evil, live long and prosper. See you this afternoon, everyone. Aloha.